This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, March 7th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family, still celebrating the launch of MyPillow version 2.0. Just got mine in the mail. They're pretty awesome, and when you enter promo code STEAK at checkout, you're going to experience awesome savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You get a promo code STAKE here. You're going to get 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak if you want the pillows. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at odyssey whether you're gaming potting raheem's finally going to get his pair today get those ear needs taken care of and done up right odyssey.com is the website you can find them on instagram you can find them on facebook friends don't forget to follow the show on instagram at steak for podcast breakfast there you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias the website our newest Substack, telegram channel and more on that note to everyone joining us today from the republican high command instagram discord and now via our verified accounts on twitter getter and true social welcome Tuesday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 219. I'm Roan. Noah's out of the office today. Alan Jacoby's going to be joining us doing some guest hosting. Guys, we've got a great show. Former acting ice director Tom Holman's going to be here. We're also going to be sitting down with uh, former veteran law enforcement officer John Davis for the first time to discuss his new book. And we're going to have former Trump surrogate Theo Wold joining us on the program today. So we've got a great show lined up. But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. You're a Florida congressman. Uh, you got Donald Trump, but you also may have Governor Ron DeSantis. Tell us how you square that circle. Where does the allegiance lie? What happens here? And more importantly, I guess, sir, what happens to all those voters behind you? Which way do they fall? Well, it is a very pro-Trump crowd indeed here at CPAC. I expect the former president to win the straw poll. That's the feedback I've gotten on the ground. It's what I've encouraged people to do who are here. I support President Trump. I've worked very closely with Ron DeSantis. I worked very hard to get him elected governor, and I want all eight years of Ron DeSantis as the governor of the state of Florida. And uh, 
if we do it right, we'll get the best of both. We'll get four years of Donald Trump's presidency in his second term, and then we may have a Ron DeSantis presidency thereafter. But I think Trump's got the magic for this moment, and this seems to be a, a, a crowd that's ready for the MAGA movement. Our enemies are lunatics and maniacs. They cannot stand that they do not own me. I don't need them. I don't need anything about them. I don't need their money. They cannot steer me. They cannot shake me. And they will never, ever control me. And they will never, ever, therefore, control you. The disinformation People say they are great at disinformation. The one we want to run against is Trump. Do you ever hear that? Oh, we want to run against Trump. Even though I'm leading every one of these guys, and even though I won the second election, okay, I won it by a lot. You know, when they say, when they say Biden won, the smart, the smart people know that, didn't they? <laughs> to bring charges against me for now, ancient, no affair story of Stormy Horseface Daniels, no attraction. No affair, I call it no affair. We had a Republican Party that was ruled by freaks, neocons, globalists, open border zealots, and fools. But we are never going back to the party of Paul Ryan, Karl Rove, and Jeb Bush. choice. If we don't do this, our country will be lost forever. People are tired of rhinos and globalists. They want to see America first. That's what they want. It's not too complicated. This is the final battle. They know it. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. This is it. Either they win or we win. And if they win, we no longer have a country. And I promise you this, if you put me back in the White House, that beautiful building, but I live in very beautiful buildings, it's not that reason. <laughs> beautiful. We no longer need a resident in the White House. We need a president who puts America first and not his business dealings with corrupt foreign countries. The man that we need to put back in the White House will be here center stage tonight. It's time we get real leadership back in the White House. Someone who actually cares about you and puts you first. Those were some of the sounds of CPAC, which took place over the weekend and included Donald Trump's keynote address, and this is Steak for Breakfast. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, well, welcome back. Guys, very important. Don't forget to follow the show across every social media, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, True Social. Type in Steak for Breakfast podcast. You'll find us. Even more importantly, subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. we got lots of links in our uh, show descriptions, whenever you find us on social media, you just click on it. It's a one-stop shop. It'll take you to everywhere you download. Subscribe to the show, rate it, leave a review. And uh, we're getting things rolling here. Noah's out of the office today, the host of The Great Divide and CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company, Alan Jacoby, is joining us to go guest host today. And we've got a big lineup. 
former acting ICE director under Donald Trump, Tom Holman's coming in to talk about border security and some of the recent developments down there. We're going to sit down with John Davis for the first time. He's a uh, former law enforcement officer, veteran. He's just wrote a new book, Spiritual Guide to uh, Navigating Some of the Difficulties of Working in Those Fields, which can apply to just the everyday average man and, and, and woman as well. And we're going to touch base with Theo Wold, former uh Trump surrogate, who's going to come in here and, and give us a little bit of commentary on the CPAC speech and uh, things of that nature. So, Alan, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always great to be on Steak for Breakfast. Always a pleasure to be uh, having you join us on the show. So, CPAC concluded this weekend. It was a uh, one of the worst turnouts that I've ever seen, according to some of the people who honestly reported on it on, on social media and in the news as well. You know, most of the speakers saw three quarters of the room empty. I think the only time it neared capacity is when Donald Trump spoke, and he wound up walking away with the CPAC straw poll, uh, claiming over 62% of the total vote, unscientific poll, and things of that nature, but some of the ones that have come out most recently uh, support that narrative as well, as he is the clear and uh, definitive leader of the party, and presumably, as the former president, will be the next Republican nominee. We're going to hear from some of the competition in our next news segment, but uh, we're going to stick at President Trump's speech right here. Alan, what do you think? You heard the 45th president talk. I thought it was a uh, not rally-style speech whatsoever. Uh, he hit on a couple of the, the bigs. He drew out some policies which are new to the campaign and then hammered some of his uh, historical allies up on Capitol Hill. What, what did you see when you heard him talk? I liked it. You know, he, he, like you said, he hit on, he hit on some great topics. It wasn't, it wasn't rally type Donald Trump, but then again, I mean, the, the showing at CPAC this year was, was dismal compared. And I have my own feelings about CPAC. I know you and I speak about this a lot. Sure. Um, I'm not a big fan of the schlaps at all. I think they're grifters to be honest. Um, and I get that Donald Trump needs that. Well, not, I, I shouldn't say that. I should not say that. I don't think Donald Trump needs that platform, but he speaks to that platform. Uh, because there is a lot of Trump fans there. Yeah, he, he's always great in his talking points. He's got to keep it up. I, I cannot wait to see the big rallies. Was not impressed with CPAC as a whole. Everything that went on there, I call it, uh, you know, the conservative Grammys, where everyone just wants to go and take a picture with some influencer. I mean, I could have been there. It's a good analogy. Media and just. Not interested in it. Our good friend Mike Crispy was there, did a bang up job over with their network over there. And my, you know, Mike Crispy always does great work. And uh, I'm glad he was there. He did a show on Donald Trump's speech. But uh, listen, Donald Trump, he's the guy. He's he, he Roan, you, you post the polls all the time. I think the last three months, he's increased gradually. And there is no other nominee for 2024 than Donald J. Trump. Well, he I is our retribution. Yeah, and which is something that he mentioned and outlined throughout the course of of his speech, which we're going to hear some experts now in. I did mention that in addition to uh, some new talking points and and policy driven, uh, you know, items that he was addressing, he also hammered some of his historical allies. Let's hear the forty fifth president take it to Mitch McConnell. Soldiers, we do nothing for them. They sleep out at night and they freeze. They freeze in the cold, and they die in the heat. Well, people that came into our country illegally are in beautiful hotel suites, perhaps watching us on television right now. <laughs> we were taking care of our soldiers just a short while ago, but we don't do that anymore. But we'll start doing it again. Our soldiers are very special to us. 
When a wonderful town in Ohio has difficulty, we are going to take care of that town, that city, that village, prior to worrying about the rest of the world. We're taking care of the problems of the rest of the world that they're not taking care of themselves. They have us put up the money. You know what I'm talking about. If you look at Ukraine, and we all feel so badly about it, Mm. but why isn't NATO putting up dollar for dollar with us? We put up $140 billion, and they put up just a tiny fraction of that. And, you know, we all want to see success, but it's far more important to them than it is to us because of that location. We are never going to be a country ruled by entrenched political dynasties in both parties, rotten special interests, China-loving politicians, of which there are many. You listening to this, Mitch McConnell? Are you listening? And a militant left-wing news media that's either frightened of telling the truth or is truly evil and bad. I don't know. I think, I think in many ways they're frightened. But you never really know which. We are not going back to this mindset. Not now. Not ever. Not ever. So you can kind of get, uh, you know, a little bit of direction of where the president was going, hitting some of his adversaries. He would hit even more of them. You know, he mentioned Jeb Bush, Carl Rove, and Paul Ryan by name, uh, a couple of the legacy media outlets and, and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of what he needed to do. What I see Donald Trump doing, and a lot of people had speculated he was just going to come out of the gates, go right back to the rallies, uh, you know, the whole three-ring circus, talk shit about everybody for a couple hours, and then, you know, travel from city to city. As we've, you know, come to learn, sizes of rallies and polls, we were able to confirm this when we sat down with Mark Mitchell from uh, Rasmussen Polling just a, a week ago, do not necessarily transpire into votes. So these policy-driven videos that he's putting out, although poorly edited, and, uh, you know, smaller, intimate speaking events when he's talking to, like, you know, the America First Legal Institute, he's doing CPAC, he's, he's at the Heritage Foundation, he's doing private dinners, uh, you know, addressing the people who are going to help us along this in this journey, the billionaire donors, those in the press who remain loyal, and then everybody else who wants to get along for the ride. We saw that, you know, the Trump team is, is adding Jason Miller back to the rotation, and he's going to be joining the Trump campaign. I believe he's already on the ground with Donald Trump as well, and you know, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, heading down this path, it's it's still way early. Most of the candidates who will, will eventually be in the Republican primary uh, haven't announced yet. Some have already announced that they're not going to be running, and those are some of the senators. Uh, former Governor Larry Hogan will hear from Pigface a little bit later in the show. But, you know, it, it's one of the things that he needs to reestablish himself, remind everybody of the things he accomplished as president, remind everybody why some of the things he accomplished as president didn't get done and who's to blame. Um, And then, you know, widen the base a little bit before he decides to really hit the campaign trail hard with the rallies and stuff like that. So I I think it's a very good um, direction that he's moving in right now. Uh, I talked to people over the weekend, like, you know, Darren Beatty pointed out that it was a top 10 CPAC speech ever. Raheem Kassam said, you know, aside from Donald Trump, there was literally not much of anything else to see. And, And what Donald Trump gave you, you know, setting up the battle between him and, and the Murdoch multimedia empire is basically Donald Trump's only opponent 
in this election coming up. It won't be Joe Biden. It won't be Ron DeSantis for as much as everybody makes or wants to pretend that it is. This will be Donald Trump versus, you know, the Murdochs, the Singers, the Griffins, the hundreds of billions of dollars that are going to get poured into this. If we thought that Time News article, uh, you know, the plot to save the 2020 presidential election one that I always like to remind people of is real and and was a massively coordinated, almost international event to stop Donald Trump from winning the presidency in 2020. Um, You know, if if we thought that was bad, I can only imagine when they had, you know, more time to sit on it, develop things that are going to be implemented as roadblocks to Donald Trump. And then, you know see him still picking up steam and remaining so favorable within the party. Uh, It's just going to be, it's going to be a huge battle. Very few people could probably handle it or or endure what he's about to go through. But I think when you just look at it, uh, you know, from the outside and and see Donald Trump as the whole, it seems like he's pretty good and and ready to go. What do you think, Alan? No, absolutely. I don't think, I don't think Donald Trump has to worry about any one, number one, any one Republican uh, opponent in the primary. And just like you said, Ron, beautifully is Donald Trump's only opponent. And I even even going through the general is going to be that dark money. OK, the Murdochs and, and everyone else you just mentioned, the 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 billionaire leftists and the disgusting leftist mainstream media, which is controlled by them anyway. Obviously, even I don't see any Democrat even being a worthy opponent right now as I sit here uh, to Donald Trump through the general. The only one I could see giving him a run for his money, and I don't think she's going to be a, an entity anyways, if, if they decide to have uh, Michelle Obama, or I like to effectively call Big Mike, okay. come in and uh, and and get the Democratic nomination. I, I don't see it happening. Ron DeSantis is not a threat. Uh, I think Ron DeSantis is going to commit political suicide if he decides to run. I really wish he didn't. And Donald Trump mentioned all those names, you know, the Paul Ryans, the Mitch McConnell, the Jeb Bush, because, I mean, let's face it, who is on the Ron DeSantis team? All of those people. And they're all establishment. And I'm not calling Ron DeSantis full establishment yet. Right. But he's he's on that path if he's going to go with these guys and all of that dark establishment money. And um. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to the unbelievable amount of leftist money and the mainstream media against Donald Trump. And those people that love Donald Trump know what his policies are about. And yes, it's always important to reinforce what he accomplished as president and why those accomplishments basically were destroyed and who to blame for that, like our border security. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, look, look what's happening right now. We had four Americans go for one, she wanted to get a tummy tuck in Mexico. Uh, Why well, I don't know. I know a great plastic surgeon in New York, but this is horrible. Sure. That four people go, they get kidnapped by the cartels, and two of them end up dead right now. One's alive, right? One's injured. I don't know. The other two are, are safe now, but what is our White House doing? What is our government doing? Nothing. Every, everything is radio silent. Yeah, no, Where I, I, just said, I just said before the show, like, hey, Ron, do you think if Donald Trump was president, and four Americans were kidnapped and two were killed, that I think we'd be droning Mexican cartels right now. I, I don't disagree with you, and it's something that we're going to be touching on with Director Tom Holman uh, in just a few minutes. We're also going to touch on you know some of Donald Trump's policies with uh, former uh, administrative staff, Theo Wold, who's going to be joining us a little bit later in the show as well. Donald Trump talked about it, and you mentioned it a little bit. Retribution, Alan, let's hear that clip that uh, definitely made the cycle of the mainstream media news. 
If you put me back in the White House, their reign is over. Their reign will be over. And they know it. And America will be a free nation once again. We're not a free nation right now. We don't have free press. We don't have free anything. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. Not going to let this happen. Not going to let it happen. I will totally obliterate the deep state. Mm. I will fire. <laughs> you know, and, and he got into the, the, the term the deep states used in the same way like fentanyl is listen everybody that's up in congress all the big pundits they all like to use the fentanyl word when describing the drug crisis the epidemic uh you know on our southern border but there's so many other drugs i mean there's coke there's heroin believe it or not there's marijuana because the cartels are trying to uh you know circumvent the process that some states where you're allowed to legally sell it uh we've outlined that with jorge ventura and all the illegal grows in california the multiple times that he's been on the show Donald Trump uses the deep state, but then goes into talking about Schedule F-related material, and that would be firing the unelected bureaucrats who gum up the works of the federal government. That's the administrative state. That's the more correct term for those who are in the know. You know, when you hear people talk about the deep state, they're talking about the administrative state. They're all the people who literally run the government instead of the president, instead of the House and Senate, and, and the ones who, you know— make this country work in the wrong direction for the American people. So, and then when he talked about, you know, being a rep- retribution, I just think that that it's a big one right there. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the payback tour. Uh, you know, part of it's the comeback tour, but this is also going to be the payback tour because everyone in Washington, DC, I always go back to that picture, uh, on inauguration day when Donald Trump first won the presidency and you had the entire, you know, uh, Obama regime all standing there with their arms folded, mean mugging him when he's coming into the White House for the first time. Those are the people that he's talking about. And, uh, you know, you, you go through the list of Valerie Jarrett's, uh, Tory Newland, uh, John Kerry, Susan Rice, Jake Sullivan, all those people. And then the, the more public figures, the Merrick Garland. You know, we, we, we cut into our show. We did a huge piece on, on, on all the things that are going on with Merrick Garland and, and the corrupt Justice Department and the FBI last week. As soon as we get off the show, I'm driving in my car, leaving the studio, and what do I see? Merrick Garland's on, on, a, on a government jet flying over to Ukraine where he spent the weekend. What is the Attorney General of the United States going over to Ukraine for? You know, why, why was Janet Yellen there, the Treasury Secretary of the United States there in the beginning of the week? Like, I could see Congress people. They want to, like, go and maybe talk to some of these government officials and look into where the money and the military equipment's going. I could see Joe Biden because, you know, even though it was at the worst time ever, if, if this is what this administration wants to support, that's probably something he should do. That's like a logistical argument for him going over there. Pro- couldn't imagine a worse time with Ohio and it being President's Day, you know, but what are our cabinet members doing over there? It, it makes no sense to me. So, you know, it, it's one of in those a war things that we're, we're technically on paper, not even fighting. Like it's not our war. And we have cabinet members going over to Ukraine in this war torn country meeting with this clown president Zelensky. It's wild. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, 
we just have to continue to watch how this government's working. We have to remember about what they're doing and, and how they're trying to, you know, make your lives worse when, when we're getting ready to go to the ballot box at, at some point, you know, here in the next two years. And, and it's so critical for us to be able to stay on the same page here and, and continue to just provide receipts. You know, there's a lot of people who like, you know, people go out there and they say like, oh, these people are just committing mass felonies and they should all be in jail and like the appropriation stuff. But that doesn't do anything to solve the problems because, you know, there's a there's a, a congressional pro- process. There, there's a, a, an electoral process that goes into those things. And right now we're not in a good space for that. So, you know, while, while others will, will try to just rally up the base with with, you know, talking points and stuff like that, I really think we're best served. Kind of just laying it out for you on a bi-weekly basis right now and showing you exactly what's going on, trying to provide commentary and analysis on why that's happening. And then, you know, obviously the, the plausible solutions and, and reasonable deductions that we'll make going down the road here in the next two years is who's going to be bet fit, best fit to serve to get us out of this disaster right now. And uh, right now, it seems like it's Donald Trump by a lot. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're just checking him out and, and seeing how he's talking about these things and, you know, talking about the things that are really affecting the people, the economy, trade, the rise of China, ending the conflict in Ukraine. And, and you just can't enough understand that there are people who are getting ready to, to take the power back and give it, you know, back to the voters, back to the people and really conduct this country in the way that we were doing, which was very self-sufficiently. Uh, before he, you know, was taken out of office in 2020, because I think, uh, you know, just when you look at the war in Ukraine, the escalations behind the scene, the proxy war with Russia and China, what's going to probably happen with Taiwan and all this other stuff, you can't really understand, like, one day you could just wake up and, listen, if if a nuke goes off, we, we, are, we are in a, a point of no return that, you know, w- with the age of nuclear proliferation and and where we're at, uh, you know, in our global standing, which is not the clearly defined leader of the world anymore, uh, you know, it's one of those things that something like that happens. If Vladimir Putin feels like there's no other option and there's no way out, which I don't think is necessarily the case now, you're seeing like a couple more reports coming out over the last couple of weeks confirming that you know, Ukraine's getting its ass kicked in certain cities. And uh, I could probably see us maybe heading to the negotiating table in the next couple months after all the big chest puffing that went on for the last month or so kind of wears off. Uh, and, and they'll make it sound like it's because Ukraine's winning. But some of the stuff that's coming out of there right now, especially like in that eastern Donbass region and parts of uh, western Crimea where, where Ukraine planned on making offensive, it, it just doesn't look like that. So, and, and, you know, we should be worrying about places like our own southern border and, and all of the criminals that are that are roaming around this country right now. Donald Trump talked about that, outlined it in part of his uh, new mass deportation plan. Alan, let's hear it. And I'm back in the White House, the very first reconciliation bill I will sign will be for a massive increase in Border Patrol and a colossal increase in the number of ICE deportation officers. And I want to thank the Border Patrol. These are incredible people. And I want to thank ICE, and in particular, I want to thank Brandon Judd, Border Patrol, and Tom Homan, Central Casting. He's Central Casting. Under my leadership, we will use all necessary state, local, federal, and military resources 
to carry out the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. Other countries are emptying out their prisons, insane asylums, and mental institutions, and sending all of their problems right into their dumping ground, the USA. Think of it. They're emptying out their prisons, and you've heard me say that, but they're also emptying out their mental institutions. And uh, to use a strong couple of words, insane asylum. Insane asylum, that's where... Anybody see Silence of the Lamb? That's where they come from, <laughs> insane asylum. That's a stronger word than a mental institution. And they're putting them into our country. Thank you very much. I will ask every state and federal agency to identify every known or suspected gang member in America and every one of them that is here illegally. And the towns know who they are. The towns and cities are the police. We love our police. The police know who they are. And we will pick them up and we will throw them out of our country and there will be no questions asked. Mm. Kind of like that. I think our listenership will probably enjoy that. Probably Tom Holman as well, who's going to be joining us in just a minute here. Guys, remember, if you're listening to the show right now and you like what you hear, you want to find us on Spotify, you want to find us on uh Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, anywhere where you listen to your podcast, hit the subscription button, leave a review, rate the show. All it does is help out Steak for Breakfast. It encourages our guests to come back here and give you this quality of content that you're not going to find almost anywhere else. So, Alan, what do you think about that? You know, it's going to take quite a big force to conduct the largest deportation operation in the history of the United States. But, you know, as we're getting ready to sit down with Tom Holman in just a minute and having him on the show so many times before that, so many other surrogates from the Trump administration as well, you know, Matt Whitaker, former acting attorney general, and uh, a lot of the people who were assistants to President Trump, this is exactly what they wanted to do in the first administration. And I think it's going to be no holds bar uh, regarding this stuff if they can get some of their department heads confirmed and, and hit the ground running when he comes back. What do you think? I think it's going to be great. Uh, I'm hoping that the um, the job listing for IRS agent gets taken down, and then one gets put up for ICE agents and Border Patrol agents. Didn't didn't uh, Kamala Harris call ICE agents uh, that the Nazis? Didn't she say that? Yeah, she certainly did. She did. Uh, yeah. So I I think it's great. Um, we 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 need to these people that came here and broke the law uh, coming into our country. While there are other great people that have waited online doing it the right way, we need to get them out of here. Enough is enough. They're destroying our country. And this isn't a matter of race. Oh, they don't like Hispanics. Donald Trump is a racist. No, no, no. This is everybody. This almost is... almost 200 countries worth of people have yes, funneled in is. here over the last two years. And uh, it's become a disaster. You can't go down to the southern border and see some of these on-the-ground correspondents right now finding people from, you know, the Golden Triangle countries or uh, Mexico. It's it's Chinese people. It's Ukrainian people, people from Russia and, and Belarus and, and places like that. You know, it, it's not your typical file footage of like 1980s, 1990s, just it looks like a whole bunch of, you know, field workers crossing the border. It's definitely not that anymore. And people are coming in well-dressed. Uh, you know, they're bringing a lot of cash. They're, they've got selfie sticks when they're walking across the border right. in some instances, and it's just turned into a complete disaster. And, and it's one of the things that I know they'll be looking to uh, do when they're going to complete the mission, which is 
the last talking point we're going to hear from President Trump in regards to his uh, CPAC keynote address. I, I think that was kind of like a, the buildup for the entire message there. This is this is revenge. This is redemption. This is the comeback. This is retribution. And it all comes into completing the mission. Let's hear the 45th president. We're a nation in decline. Our enemies are desperate to stop us because they know that we are the only ones who can stop them. They know that this room is so important, the people in this room. They know that we can defeat them. They know that we will defeat them, but they're not coming after me. They're coming after you, and I'm just standing in their way. That's all I'm doing. I'm standing in their way. And that's why I'm here today. That's why I'm standing before you, because we are going to finish what we started. We started something that was a miracle. We're going to complete the mission. We're going to see this battle through to ultimate victory. We're going to make America great again. And there you have it. You know, it's 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 it goes without saying. Um, and we pointed out so many times in the show, Donald Trump has nothing to gain by this. And he has everything to lose everything from, you know, possible prosecution and indictment uh, continuing uh, to lose billions of dollars in, in, in future in investments and, and, you know, building his name and brand to turn over to his family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after he's out of the spotlight and even further down the road, not with us anymore. And for anyone that, that just goes out and thinks that this is like some Donald Trump ego thing, like I, I really don't understand how no. people like, you know, you just listen, there isn't a person who worked in the administration or, or isn't a Trump adjacent that comes on here now that doesn't at some point during their interview, even though we rarely direct it there, who talk about every single day they wake up with like a new subpoena. Uh, they're getting served left, right, and in between. They're getting dragged in and out of interviews and questionings and, and you know, threats of playing lawfare and loss of finances and stuff like this. Like the Trump team, the Trump family has so little to win other than to, like he said, complete the mission. And uh, even though it's a little bit cliche, make America great again, get us back to where we were when he left office pre-COVID and right. beyond is, is pretty much the only goal. And, and I can only assume that that message is going to continue to evolve and blossom over the course of the next, you know, a little bit less than two years as we're getting ready to really hit the presidential primary season hard here on Steak for Breakfast. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to track this uh, and, and even talk about it a bit with former Trump acting ICE director Tom Homan in just a minute. But before that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. Joining us first on the show today, he's the former acting ICE director during the Trump administration. Coming back on again, Mr. Tom Holman, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. 
Hey, thanks for having me. Director, we, ju- we just saw CPAC wrapped over the weekend. Uh, Donald Trump gave the keynote speech. He won the straw poll by a considerably large margin. Um, and he outlined uh, many things during that speech, including his new policy for uh, dealing with some of the problems we have in the United States regarding immigration and uh, what Joe Biden's been able to accomplish on his end of the deal since he uh, took office. Uh, one of the highlights was uh, conducting the largest deportation operation in the history of the United States. That's something that you've talked about extensively uh, several times on the show when you've been with us. That must have had you uh, salivating, to say the least. And uh, what kind of commentary could you give on President Trump's speech regarding it? Well, I think President Trump's a guy, right? I mean, uh, I worked for six presidents, starting with Ronald Reagan. Every president ever worked for took some steps to secure the border. Because I understood you can't have national security without border security, but... But no one did more than President Trump, right? So we had illegal immigration down 83%. It was at a 40, 45-year low. Unprecedented. Uh, He was very successful. And then we got Joe Biden in office, and he was the first president in the history of this nation that unsecured a border. Right. So, look, we've got a lot of of fixing to do. Uh, we got uh, millions of people crossing the border legally. And I've said for a long time, since we have, we're a nation of laws. When you enter the country, it's a crime. Now, we need to hold these people accountable. There needs to be consequences for violating our laws. And, and with all these people coming across, they call them asylum seekers. I guess technically they are. But if you look at immigration court data, uh, approximately 9 out of 10 asylum seekers uh, do not get relief from U.S. courts because they simply don't qualify. They're taking advantage of the loophole coming across the border, saying asylum, and they get released. And a lot of them don't show up in court. The ones that do show up in court, nine out of ten lose. So uh, you can't demand, you know, like the left demands they got the right to claim asylum. They got their, they got the right to, to, to see a judge. Okay. They got the right to due process on our laws, but due process means nothing if we don't execute the final orders of the judge at the end of that due process. So, you know, American taxpayers are spending billions of dollars on this whole system of detention, immigration enforcement, immigration court. And at the end, when a federal judge makes a decision they they have to leave, then those orders need to be carried out. So we have, when I left ICE, we had over 700,000 fugitives. These are people who had due process, were ordered removed by a, a federal judge and didn't leave. And now under Biden, we got a couple million, you know, more asylum seekers and nine out of 10 of them will fail. So when President Trump comes into office, we need to arrest those ordered illegally from the United States. Now, of course, we'll prioritize those with public safety threats first, but um, there is no prerequisite in the immigration law that says you got to commit a crime in addition to illegal entry to be deported. Right. So we, these people need to be held accountable and they need to be removed. Director, what is it with a lot of the other Republicans, especially some of the candidates that are going to get into this race for the presidency? Why won't they touch the topic of the border? Why is just saying fentanyl and making the border safe enough for them without getting into the numbers of of how, you know, the amount of illegal crossings that have happened, the amount of fugitives that are still uh, at large in the United States and what Joe Biden's been able to do with now probably over north of seven million people in the last two plus years that have come into the United States that they know about how this affects the economy, wages. Uh, children's school testing, uh, the overall health and, and, and things like that in the country. And, you know, why won't anybody else touch a topic like this? And, and Donald Trump goes at CPAC and just outlines, hits a home run with it. Because a lot of, they're politicians. And, and it's, a, it's a, immigration enforcement's always been a, 
an emotional uh, topic. It's always been controversial, right? Because you're talking about people's um, people coming to the United States illegally for most of most of most of the reasons are to you know to create a better life for themselves. And I get that. I can't blame anybody that wants to be part of the greatest nation on earth. But there's the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. So a lot of politicians stay. A lot of politicians stay away from that, sure. which is wrong. Because they need to understand, if you want to be a, 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 a political leader in this country, you got to understand we can't have national security if you don't have border security. And I don't care what their position is on illegal immigration. They need to take in the fact this, that when you cause a crisis this big, like the Biden administration did, it, 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 it overwhelmed the border patrol. 70 to 80% of agents are pulled off the line. To process these big groups, which means only 30% of patrol agents are left on patrol. And the cartels control our southern border. They decide what comes across, when it comes across, and where it comes across. Those send a large group of aliens in one area, knowing they'll overwhelm whatever left on the border. And that's when they move the fentanyl in. That's when they move the gang members in. That's when they move the criminals in. That's when they move the known suspected terrorists in because. These people don't want to be caught. It, it, you, you know, so what, they, they need to understand when you create a crisis this big, it results in increased uh, uh, drug flow, increased criminal flows. It, so it becomes a, a, a public safety crisis. It becomes a public health crisis. And it certainly becomes a national security crisis. Yeah. So regardless of what their opinion is, illegal immigration, that border is a hell of a lot more than just illegal immigration. It's about national security mainly. And that's that's something I really hit on, is that the border patrols arrested people from 170 different countries. Many of these countries are sponsors of terrorism. They've arrested 57 uh, people on the terrorist watch list. So they got 1.2 million gotaways. So if you don't think a single one, the 1.2 million gotaways came from a country sponsored terrorism, then you're ignorant. Yep. So I tell the politicians, you may be afraid of immigration, but you better understand quickly this is bigger just than illegal immigration. No, and that's that's uh, the fact of the matter right there. You, you have to take into consideration the, the numbers and just the equation. I, I am in the demographic of we are on borrowed time for some of the getaways and, and what their ill intentions for the country might be uh, now that they're freely operating in the United States. And then you talked about the safety levels down there with the coyotes and the drug smugglers. You know, everybody always sees the high-speed chases from Border Patrol and DPS that make it to the mainstream media, which is what I want to touch on next. You know, you talk about the safety levels down there and, and how – you know, the amount of people that are coming in, how it's affected the Border Patrol, the brave men and women who serve along the U.S. southern border. We saw late last week a female Border Patrol agent in uh, the process of detaining uh, someone entering the country illegally was assaulted and put in the hospital. I don't think it made it really through the mainstream media, and I don't think our listenership hears about stories like that enough. You know, there was a Aaron Marine uh, interdiction agent who was killed this year. Uh, during uh, a drug interdiction, there was another Border Patrol agent in Texas who was shot several times but saved by his body armor just a few months ago. What can you tell our listenership about like, what it really looks like on the ground down there, not just for maybe the Border Patrol agents, but even the people that live along the southern border? Well, the border clean that got assaulted, the, the female agent, you know, uh, God help her, she, she uh, hopes she heals fast. Yeah. Now, if that would have been the only thing that got beat up, it'd be at every news station in the country. But uh, this administration has shown from day one that they don't have the backs of our law enforcement. Um, you're, uh, in the Biden administration, you're innocent to proven guilty unless you wear a badge. Then it's the complete opposite. So look, the border patrol agency, he's, he's vilified them. He slandered them from the White House podium when he says 
the horse patrol with people and and the investigation showed it didn't look i saw that video first 30 seconds i can tell they did nothing wrong right but the president attacked him from day one day one his first speech as president he made a comment during that speech that the last administration would watch children children starve to death on the banks of the Rio Grande and did nothing about it. So he's talking about the men and women of Borto who supposedly would watch children die of starvation, which is just just garbage. These men and women save lives. They save they save lives every day. They pull people out of the river. They find people stranded in the desert. These men and women save thousands of lives. So they're, they're some of America's finest. But they're, look, the morale of border patrol agents and ICE agents is in the hole. It's, it, it doesn't it doesn't even exist. They took an oath to enforce laws in this country. They took an oath as a federal law enforcement officer to 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 enforce law and secure the border. They're not allowed to do that. Rather than enforcing the law, they simply become processing tourist agents that will process somebody which for somebody for something they know is a, is a silent fraud. Then they'll send them on their way. They'll get a free airline ticket or bus ticket to the city of their choice. Yep. And then they'll get work authorization and remain in the country for a number of years and they'll never leave. And so the Border Patrol agents, morale's, morale's dead. It's, it's, it's not existent. Border Patrol just did a, a hiring uh, announcement a few weeks ago offering $10,000 signing bonus and an additional $10,000 to go to hardship station. And they can't get people to sign up. Yeah. I mean, who the hell wants to become a federal law enforcement officer and be told don't enforce law? Remember, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, he, he told the men and women of the Border Patrol and ICE that being in the country illegally on its own is not enough to ICE to make an arrest. Basically telling ICE officers to ignore the law, ignore your oath, you're not going to enforce immigration law. So so the morale is, is, is in the toilet. However, these men and women still put themselves in harm's way every day and strap a gun to their hip. And patrol that border, and you know the the incidents of violence and assaults on officers are at all time high, because the criminal cartels have been empowered by this administration. The criminal cartels in Mexico are making more money now than they've ever made, because they're removing record amounts of fentanyl across the border. They're 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 moving record amounts of of aliens or alien smuggling, and and a record amount of women and children through sex trafficking. I mean, they're making more money. They, they got three business models now. They're making more money than they've ever made. And that's why the criminal cartels in Mexico are, are fighting each other down there. That's why there's so much violence. Yeah. Because the cartels are fighting each other for the control of the plazas. And that has spilled over to the United States. For the first time in my career, I know that the criminal cartels are operating in every major city in this country. Because not only are they moving the drugs in, they're, they're also now controlling the, the drug trade inside the United States. Uh, we saw some recent violence in California where the family was assassinated. Yep. And look, we don't know how much cartel violence is even in this country because law enforcement agencies all classify something as a murder. There's nothing on UCR, uniform crime, the uniform uniform crime report, where an agency could say, you know, check a box, say this is cartel violence. We don't even know how much cartel violence is here, but it's going to get a hell of a lot worse because they're making so much money, they're not going to let anybody stand in their way, including border patrol agents. No, I mean that's a uh, that's the point right there, and, and and you know when you when you look at it from the outside in, these border patrol agents, it's like n- not even do you have to wait for the administration to try and figure out a way to to demonize the work that they're doing down there. If they're just standing in the wrong spot and it gets on film and becomes file footage, if someone says that it's you know a cancelable offense, these these guys are in for a long ride, and it just goes to. Uh, you know, lend credit to to the light you shine on the safety levels down there, and the, the amount of stress that these agents and uh, officers are under protecting our U.S. southern border. 
Director, last thing I wanted to touch with you on, uh, we had Congressman Eli Crane. He represents Arizona 2 on the show on Friday. He's part of the DHS committee uh, that went down to the border last week uh, in the Tucson sector of Arizona and, uh, you know, gave our listenership a, a, a little bit of an insight to what it looks like on the ground down there. Now, with committee work just pretty much getting started, and even though Matt Gates uh, reported last week that at this point they might not have the votes to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, the DHS secretary, are you optimistic about where these committees are going to go providing oversight until we can get to the next election? Well, first of all, the Republican representatives need to get their head out of their butts and have enough votes to impeach Mayorkas. If they can impeach President Trump from making a phone call, they certainly can impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, who's, who's failed to enforce laws and failed to uphold his oath, lied under oath in front of Congress when he said the border is secured. He slandered men and women of the, board, the horse patrol from the White House podium. They have more than enough. His policies, what he's done his borders, results in 106,000 Americans dying from drug overdoses. You got over 1,700 migrants that died in U.S. soil, another record. So you got record amounts of Americans dying, record amounts of migrants dying. Record amount of money being made by the criminal cartels. Record amount of non-suspected terrorists being arrested at the southern border. If that's not enough to impeach somebody, I don't know what the hell is. But I, I'm hoping oversight hearings will provide evidence, provide uh, expert testimony. You know, bring these people in, put them under oath. Secretary's going to lie under oath anyways, but bring in the chief of the border patrol, bring in the other chiefs. Uh, bring in people who know how these cartels work. And present evidence, present emails, present uh, uh, meeting notes that shows it. This administration purposely unsecured this border, which resulted in this chaos. And and once, because my hope is there's 24 or 26 Democrat uh, representatives up for re-election in 2024 in tough uh, battleground states that Trump actually won. They're about to pick a side. You, when they get presented evidence and evidence in, in, in direct testimony, are they going to continue to ignore this open border? Or are they going to say, you know what? There is a problem. We need to take action. If we can win some Democrats over, we may have enough to impeach. So I think oversight hearings are going to show the American people what's actually happening in that border. Remember, the Democrat-controlled uh, House last year didn't have a single hearing about the, the border and, and, uh, and, and bring the right people in to talk about. I mean, the right people are career folks, not politicians, career folks. So I'm hoping the oversight hearings will result in, in some Democrats being – they'll position that they won't be able to walk away from this issue. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, we hope so too. And uh, we're going to continue to track it as we cycle through all of our congressmen, especially the ones who walk, work along the U.S. southern border onto the show. Director, we want to be able to uh, funnel everybody through that's not already following you, where they could track all the good work that you're doing, speaking events and stuff like that. Where can we find you? Uh, you can go to my website, so homelandstrategic.com. Uh, I'm there and, and uh, uh, I'm also on TomHomanSpeaks.com. That's the website that the, 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 uh, my book company set up for me. So there's two websites, TomHomanSpeaks.com and HomelandStrategic.com. Either place they can find you. We'll be looking to uh, have you back on the show soon, Director, and we'll be live linking both of those in the show description today. This is the former acting ICE director during the Trump administration. Director Tom Holman, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. You got it. Thank you. The liberal media's heads are exploding about my run for president. And we all know why. The media can't stand the fact that I'm a conservative. Think about it. I'm a woman. I'm a minority. And I'm the daughter of immigrants. 
I am proof that liberals are wrong about everything they say about America. Well, it was great sitting down with former acting ICE director Tom Holman, and we are going to be jumping into now uh, some of the potential competition for Donald Trump, those announced and uh, probably announcing shortly here. A lot of people made their runs of the Sunday morning news circuit and and got around doing interviews, and we're going to be checking in on some of those before we sit down with former deputy assistant to President Trump, Theo Wold. Guys, remember, very importantly, across all social medias, Twitter, Getter, Instagram, uh, True Social, Steak for Breakfast, follow the show. It's where you get all of our posts, all of our updates. We've also got a sub stack. Check it out over there on the app. Just type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast. In addition, wherever you're listening, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, subscribe to the show, rate it, leave a review. Very important so you get all the things that we're working on here delivered to you via the form of notifications. Alan, real quick. What did you think of Director Homan kind of hit on some of Trump's policy speeches, talked about border safety and, and stuff like that, and then listening to Nikki Haley. She is a minority woman, true conservative speaker. Let's get some commentary on both of those. Yeah, I first of all, <laughs> first of all, Nikki Haley is – she's this is just a bad attempt to interview for Trump's VP. Nobody right. cares if she's running for president. <laughs> I think I speak for a lot of people when uh, – and she, listen, she's another one, warmonger. She's on the war ticket. She loves it. She, she's just, I, I don't see anything positive about her. And, and honestly, she's a liar because she did say, what was it back in April of last year, that she was not going to run if Donald Trump was running for president. And she lied. And as she's playing, well, you know, she's the daughter of immigrants and all this other nonsense. So, yeah, I don't think there's much competition. And what do you think of Tom Holman? He's he's pretty uh, fired up and ready to get back to work when talking about the largest deportation operation in the history of the galaxy. Tom Holman is great, and uh, I hope that he will uh, have a significant role in the next Trump administration. And uh, really, he's a, he's a, he's a hard charger when it comes to border security. And I, I I love everything that he does. His talking points are great, but I think he uh, he truly will be when given the opportunity a real man of action. I think so as well, and it was great catching up with him. So, like I mentioned, we're going to be hearing from some of the potential challengers to Donald Trump in the 2024 field right before we sit down with former Deputy Assistant to Donald Trump, Theo Wool, to talk about that and more. I do want to touch on the uh, big January 6th reveal from last night as well. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting to see the counter to CPAC was to, to get all these essentially the rhinos out there to go and complain about President Trump and, and you know, kind of force-feed the American public. Uh, you know, how they do better in their job. Next one we're going to listen to, uh, well, brace yourselves. Fake news, Chuck Todd sat down with uh, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, uh, the Granite Stater, who's, I, would con- I wouldn't even consider him a moderate. He's like a liberal Republican, talking about all things Trump-related. And uh, it seemed like everybody wants to distance herself from the 45th president as his stock continues to rise. Let's hear the governor. Republicans have a habit of actually always take going for the outsider, whatever that moment is in that moment, who the outsider candidate is. And it's been remarkable to me that Donald Trump looks like he's trying to be the outsider. He was he ran the party. He was the institutional head of the party. He's running as an outsider. And I know you want to be the outsider, but in many ways, he's already lumped everybody against him. Do you think he's effectively carving out an outsider lane for himself? 
I think the former president has his own lane. He doesn't need to carve anything. He's an absolute known commodity uh, to every American in this country, right? There's very few people that are on the fence, whether they're with him or not with him or whatever it might be. So uh, I, I'm not, I, don't, I think he just has his lane. And then there's everyone else, which is a, a vast majority of the party that's looking for an alternative. Right now, if the election were today, Ron DeSantis would win in New Hampshire. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Uh, I think Ron DeSantis would win in Florida. So um, he's, I think the former president is trying to find a path to be back that, that leading voice of the party. I think a lot of us are, uh, you know, that, that potentially may get in the race, want to have something to say about the direction of that conversation. But yeah. um, look, I, again, thank you for your service. We're moving on. Uh, I just don't believe the Republican Party is going to say that the best leadership for America tomorrow is yesterday's leadership. That doesn't make any sense. That is not in our DNA as Americans. Yeah. It's kind of the antithesis of the American spirit to settle for yesterday's news. We want the next generation, the next big idea. And that's what we're going to deliver. Mm. What do you think they're going to deliver, Alan? <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I'm listening to two guys st standing next to each other at the urinal, peeing on each other's shoes. Like, I, 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 come on, stop. Well, Trump is an outsider, number one. And Ron DeSantis is not winning Florida today. He's not winning New Hampshire today. I don't think Ron DeSantis is winning Florida in 2024, to be honest. But he's the governor. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think Chris Sununu caters to much outside of his, you know, very loyal base there in New Hampshire nationally. I don't think he caters to very much at all. And we've seen polls that uh, directly counter what he was saying there. Not only has Donald Trump widened his lead in the Republican primary, he he's shown to beat Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire. I haven't seen too many polls out of Florida yet that I think are reliable. I'll, I'll wait till the next Rasmussen poll comes out. But a 2024 GOP primary polling trends by Morning Consult today released that Donald Trump is now clearly over 50%. In January, he was at 45%. The next closest was Ron DeSantis at 34. February, he was at 48%. Ron DeSantis was then at 30. And now today, well, this week, March 5th, Donald Trump is at 53%. That's a plus 25 for him since January. And Ron DeSantis now sits under 30% at, at 28. So, you know, these, these are, these, listen, the entire apparatus... That's set up to stop Donald Trump from becoming the Republican nominee is probably showing you not accurate numbers, and he's still winning by a considerable margin. You know they're shaving points off the top and dripping them down to everybody else. It's where you see you know, people like Nikki Haley polling in some polls around between 8 and 10% against the rest of the field and up against Trump and DeSantis because it's like, I don't think that really... Listen, even, even the radical neocons out there, they really don't want the war that we're advertising right now simply because of where it goes. And that's using the N-word as Donald Trump so elegantly right. out outlines often. We don't ever use either one of the N-words, especially on Steak for Breakfast. But, you know, that's where the next hot war will go. It, it'll be a war of, you know, the, the NATO alliance and, and everyone there who's nuclear capable, plus the United States. And then you have Russia, you have China, anybody else that wants to get involved. North Korea is always a wild card. You have Iran. And places like even India who who and Saudi Arabia who cater now towards our adversaries more than they do to us. And, and you know, one of the things I was thinking, and, and tell me what you think, Alan, one of the big things about Donald Trump and what he does is how he gets these, these rhinos and these warmongers to work inside of the party. Rebuilding our military throughout the course of the Trump administration, pre-COVID, because everything shut down, including, you know, for the most part, the military industrial complex uh, during the global pandemic. We spent and allocated so much money towards rebuilding our military, the military industrial complex eight 
and it was enough to quell those warmongers for that time. So instead of like investing money to build shit, to go to war, to blow stuff up, we were investing money in ourselves to build up our stockpiles, which Joe Biden has either left in Afghanistan or, or has given away to some of our, you know, geopolitical allies. And, and it's, it's weird how that kind of works. That's where you get people like, I think Lindsey Graham, he's number one because that guy loves his war and supports Donald Trump. And I think that Lindsey Graham knows that the people who are in the lobby groups and the special interests that cater to him and they want to eat figuratively, and I'm talking about financially, Donald Trump gives them the buffet line. He's like, dude, let's do deals with India. Let's do deals with Saudi Arabia. Let's do deals with UAE and send them and Israel, send them patriots, send them planes. You know, let's get deals done with Turkey for the F-35s. And I really think that Donald Trump was able to hold them off long enough. It's part of, you know, what the same strategy I think he's using to go in. I'll be able to use some of my historical political allies right now in regards to those who are big supporters or controlled by the military industrial complex like the Lindsey Grahams by reinvesting in, in American greatness and rebuilding our military up monetarily. And, 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 and I think that's one of the things that, you know, a lot of people don't take into consideration, like what's the angle here. And I think, you know, now that I think about it even more, like as long as the military industrial complex gets to eat, I don't think they care where the money's going as long as it continues to pour in. And if we're pouring it into ourselves, that's the kind of military industrial complex narrative that I can agree with. And I think it's it's what Lindsey Graham sees at the other end. You know, it's probably what Nikki Haley saw when she was in there uh, serving as the ambassador to the U.N. and stuff like that. Next up is former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchison, a possible presidential candidate. And he was giving some commentary and reaction to Donald Trump's CPAC speech. Let's hear him. In 2016, I declared... I am your voice. Today I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. What's your reaction to all of that? Who's opening a door on the well, set of CNN? <laughs> uh, first of all, if you want to heal our land and unite our country together, you don't do it by appealing to the angry mob oh. and that's true whether you're talking about an angry mob from the left or the right and so uh, that's problematic and that's where again you come back to the community of faith uh, and what uh, kind of leadership do we want uh, whenever you're looking at toughness you want that in reference to foreign policy and, oh. and protecting the oh. interests of the United States or against the corrupt whenever government. you're looking at the leader of our country you don't want him to be engaged in a personal vendetta oh my gosh that uh, that is uh, former Arkansas governor Asa Hutchinson or as I like to call him less than one percent nationally with, with that message <laughs> right there so listen I I am, I'm not saying anything to anybody's faith, but if, if that's what you're going to run on, Donald Trump is the anti-faith candidate. Good luck with that resonating on the debate stage, because right. w- what is your counter talking points to that? You know, the Republicans, the conservative movement as a whole, uh, unless you're just so tied to the establishment and the lobby groups and the special interests that you can't get outside the narrative of how bad we've been jobbed for the last seven plus years now, then you just need to get out of the way or you're going to get plowed over. Someone who took that advice, probably from a pretty strong team around him, was, uh, as Donald Trump puts it, pig-faced former governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan. He sat down for a one-on-one interview with Deface the Nation this weekend on CBS and made his announcement on whether or not he's going to run for president. Alan, let's hear it. I did give it serious consideration. I talked to people everywhere, and I talked to my family, and it was a tough decision, but I've decided that I will not be 
a candidate for the Republican nomination for president. Mm. This is not just a decision about running for president. It's a, a decision about running against former President Trump, who's as tough on his opponents as anyone I've ever covered, merciless. Yeah. I thought he was going to say Well, it. that didn't really scare me. You're right. It would be a tough race, and he's very tough. But, you know, I beat uh, life-threatening cancer, so oh. having Trump no. names on Twitter didn't, didn't Well, you haven't beat Donald me. Trump. So it wasn't just about personal. It was also about the party for you, it seems. That you, it's you need it's really mostly about the country and uh, about the party. It was, the personal decision, it was like, I didn't need that job. I didn't need to run for another office. It was really, I was considering it because uh, I thought it was public service and maybe I could make a difference. So at the end of the day, you're looking at this and for all the personal reasons you've outlined, you're not going to run. But politically, by staying out of the race, it's a smaller field, maybe tougher for Trump to get the nomination. I think so. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about that. We didn't, I didn't want to have a, a pileup of a bunch of people fighting. Right now you have... You know, Trump and DeSantis at the top of the field, soaking up all the oxygen, getting all the attention, and then a whole lot of the rest of us in single digits. And uh, the more of them you have, the less chance you have for somebody rising up. Mm. He saw the writing on the wall. Now, I think there, there's a couple different ways that he could go with this. There, there's talks of a possible Senate run uh, for Larry Hogan, which, I mean, I know he, he probably identifies a little bit more with Mitch McConnell than he does obviously with Donald Trump. He kind of outlines it there, or does he kind of stay out of the race and, and endorse the, the future nominee, which I, I don't see happening. What, what about you, Alan? You know, I don't see that happening either. I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, every single person that Hogan, uh, consulted with about running told him not to, cause he's a loser, but I mean, not in so many words, like probably including his wife, if he has one. Mm. Um, I, I you know, listening to him talk, though, at the very end, listening to him about narrowing the playing field, because we know we know that more candidates run in the Republican primary is a benefit to Donald Trump. We know that we saw it in 2016, right? Sure. So now politically, let's look at this at the uh, at, at another angle. Now, if these people who we all think are going to run for president don't run and they keep the field really small, Ron DeSantis announces he's going to run and they all get behind him. They rally the money behind him. And then maybe I don't see it happening. I'm just spitballing here. And he gets the nomination and say he chooses maybe Let's just say Nikki Haley. She her, her her name is in the ring as his running mate. You know, it, could this be a, a conspiracy play where they want to keep the field small this time because they don't want the repeat of 2016 where what did he win in the primary run? You remember like 30%? Yeah. I think about 30, 34% up against 17. Yeah. And that's all he cannabis. needed. So, you know, that was 17. I want to see 10 people run just yes, because it, it's going to be even when, uh, what was his name? Mike Mitchell from Rasmussen reports, right? Yeah. When or he was talking about it, obviously he said like when Nikki Haley announced she's running for president, who did she pull support from? She pulled support in the polls from Ron DeSantis, not Donald Trump. Right. And you know, so it's so many things can happen, but you know, I, I almost want to see this guy Hogan run. I, you know, I, 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 the, the other guy, um, uh, Sununu, like I, if the more, the better, because this will, again, I believe, and a lot of other people will secure the, uh, the nomination for Donald Trump. I think Pence and Pompeo are pre-baked. Um, I also think you'll probably get, two out of the five-ish governors who are floating around at least two or three to get in. 
I think you when you add that to Nikki Haley and and maybe another random candidate, I, I think is if if the field gets to eight ish, mm-hmm. it's a, it's it's an easy walk for Donald Trump. I think anything below that uh, makes it a little bit closer. But I, I just don't see anybody at the national level. I mean, honestly, what. These people are going to try and hit Donald Trump with bad policy decisions or bad hires, and he's going to hit these people back, especially the ones who are formerly in his administration, his secretary of state, his U.N. ambassador, his vice president with like, let's talk about the bad decisions you made and how it affected my presidency. And those are going to be absolutely big time receipts that he's going to be dropping. Deep state dirtbag. And Ukraine war appreciator Mike Pompeo jumped on Fox News Sunday uh, to talk about Donald Trump and, and, and how he feels in regards to him being a true conservative, which apparently is a warmonger. Let's hear him. Would a President Pompeo do a better job at managing the deficit and debt than a President Trump did? I think I think a President Pompeo or any conservative president will do better than not only we did during four years of the Trump administration, Barack Obama, George Bush. The list is long, Shannon, of folks who come to Washington on one theory and don't aren't prepared to stand up and explain to the American people how we're actually going to get that right. It matters to the next generation. Uh, this the system is at risk. Uh, if we don't get it right, we are thirty-one trillion dollars in the hole. We've got to begin to grow the economy, build it back with lower taxes, and when we do that and grow our economy, we'll get it right back right. It's going to take a true conservative leader, Shannon. Are you saying that President Trump wasn't a true conservative leader? Oh. Six trillion dollars more in debt. Uh, that's never that's never the right direction for the country, Shannon. Okay. Um mm. a dirtbag. Really is. It how much really how much is. of that was directly related to the pandemic, which I do want to continue to remind our audience every time we bring it up, here's our COVID fact check for the uh Spotify listeners out there. Anything that Donald Trump that didn't cater to the people around him who were forcing him to do this stuff during the pandemic, his response, uh, you know, what he did in regards to governorships, money allocations, PPE, it's like a half and half. 50% of it was Jared Kushner's bad advising, and the other half was people threatening him. If you fire Dr. Fauci, if you don't lock down the country, if you don't get things rolling in the direction that the biopharmaceutical medical complex and stuff want to be doing, uh, you know, the whole Fauci bricks narrative and, and, you know, pressure from Mike Pence, they were going to line him up for another impeachment. There have been a lot of people who have told me that behind the scenes, if he would have fired Dr. Fauci, they would have thrown him up for another impeachment in regards to all this health and safety that was going on. They had the uh, death count meters on every news channel, 24 seven, hanging that millstone around his neck. And he was very limited to what he could do outside of what he did and then his narrative when he went out and spoke always countered like listen this is where we're at right now but this is what i want to do like we're in a lockdown i want to open the country like i he said masks don't work i don't wear masks like maybe we shouldn't be wearing masks like kids should be in school learning and uh you know the whole operation warp speed thing that's another component of all this that will be very rarely talked about on the campaign trail in my opinion i don't think that you know people are going to ask Donald Trump and every single person around him that supported getting Operation Warp Speed up, getting the vaccines out to the public and, and you know, listening to your doctors is like, so so you should have told people not to listen to their doctors now. Right, Donald Trump. And you should you should be going around telling everybody that this is a death jab hmm. that, that that's for the doctors and, and for the medical people. Listen, we had Peter McCullough, Robert Malone and God rest his soul, uh, Dr. Zelenko on this show. They all still to this day, Peter McCall was on the show two weeks ago, said there is not enough long-term studies to, to confirm the negative effects that we're starting to see with the COVID vaccines. And there won't be long-term studies until we get long-term. So I don't really think those things factor into, I mean, 
when you just look at Trump DeSantis head to head, they both initially supported lockdown. They both initially supported masking. They both initially supported uh, homeschooling, distance learning and stuff like that. And they both initially supported the jabs. You know, Ron DeSantis worked exclusively with several of the big market outlets in Florida as Donald Trump tried to distribute them to the states and the governors that were requesting them. So I think it's kind of a moot point. And just something that's more for like people to commentate on Twitter and Telegram and stuff like that. But it's a very valid point and one that needs to be addressed. But like the professionals, uh, like Senator Ron Johnson is trying to help promote and some of our great members in, in the House of Representatives on the Republican side, we'll get to those long term studies. We'll get the receipts of how Dr. Fauci kind of manipulated the entire situation behind the scenes and how that negatively contributed to the results that Donald Trump was trying to get done for the American people during the pandemic. So, yeah. Speaking of Big Mad, we all heard Karl Rove get hit hard in in our uh, opening segment today, talking about him and Paul Ryan and Jeb Bush at his CPAC keynote speech, and he jumped on uh, Fox News Sunday also to talk about it. Well, complain about it. Let's hear it, and uh, let's hear Karl Rove. I go to you next on this. President Trump uh, went after you at one point, went after other Republicans, said, you know, that's not the direction we're going anymore. We're moving hard on America first. And uh, this is the the last battle. Everyone knows it. The country could be lost forever. And how did DeSantis do as well, sir? Well, I'm going to the president did name check me. I was happy to be named in in uh, in the middle of Paul Ryan and Jeb Bush. Uh, But, you know, I think the president's speech was a good one, but not a great one. Uh, He has as uh, uh, you know, he has now begun to emphasize issues. But some of those issues are a little weird, you know, building 10 new cities around America and having people elect uh, school principals just strike me as fanciful ideas. But at least he was talking mostly, not entirely, but mostly about the future. We did have, uh, you know, the the, uh, recitation that he'd actually won the 2020 election and that he'd won it by a lot, which I I think people are over that. They just move on. You didn't win the election. You aren't president of the United States. Uh, Stay focused on the future. DeSantis is laying the predicate for a presidential campaign. He's not exactly running for president yet. He understands that people need to know more about him. And I thought his speech in California, and from what I heard, the speeches in Dallas and Houston, where he spoke to record-breaking audiences for the Republican County fundraising dinners, are all aimed at helping deepen people's understanding of who he is. I think it's a smart move. It's preliminary to becoming a presidential candidate. Mm -hmm. He recognizes people need to to know more about what he's done in order to help prepare him for uh, talking about what it is that he wants to do. A lot of word salad about her. Wasn't that funny how she kind of let in there? She's like, yeah, Donald Trump hit you, blah, blah, blah. She went into like this whole spiel about Donald Trump. And right before she turned it over to Karl Rove, she's like, and what do you think about Ron DeSantis? I'm just like, come on, guys. We just got a week full of Ron DeSantis who didn't sell out to record crowds. I mean, listen, for as many people as we had working for us on the ground at CPAC, showing us like what the rooms really looked like, showing us the low attendance, that there was like a lot of like rich old people there and not really the big base of the conservative movement as at times it had been historically, we see the exact same thing at Ron DeSantis' speaking events. I mean, he spoke at like the Reagan library out in California. It was full, but I mean, it wasn't tens of thousands of people. And you know, when you talk about dinners, like, okay, you fill up a dining hall for a pay for plate event. Like, You should want to fill those things up. He's on a book tour, which I am going to go on the record as saying I think Ron DeSantis is doing a lot of avoiding of his campaign finances and taxes and rules and stuff by having this book tour right now. Just based off the places he's going, he's going besides Florida. He's in Texas. He's in California. He's going to be in New Hampshire and he's going to be in Iowa. I mean, he's essentially running like a a shadow campaign uh, for the for the presidency, you know, 
in in the Republican primary by going on this book tour right now. And then, you know, as far as Karl Rove goes, he's just a disaster. And, you know, it, it probably pains him to even give Donald Trump a little credit in regards to talking about policy. And then right. when, you, when, you, when you talk about the stuff that's going on regarding Ron DeSantis, I mean, what, what can you say? So he's not really giving us – we, we played a couple clips of the Florida governor last week, and, uh, you know, he, he's just not really given too many straightforward answers. He, it, it, they're vague. They seem like they're uh, pre, pre-baked talking points. And, uh, you know, we're going to hear – one of those exactly right now, he did an exclusive interview, I think, after Donald Trump did on Boomer Sweats. And, and you know, he was asked about whether he's running in the uh, presidential primary coming up here or not. So let's hear the Florida governor give his uh, way in on it. It's a question that a lot of people have been asking. And there's a lot of speculation that you might be getting into the 2024 presidential race. Um, I know your answer. I hate to ask questions that I think I know the answer to. What is your answer? No, no, it's all good, Sean. I appreciate it. As you know, I have my state of the state tomorrow. We've got a great legislative session coming up. I mean, we ran it, won a big victory, swept in a lot of people to office. Uh, that's a vindication of what we did the last four years. It was also an opportunity. So we're really laser focused on that. As you mentioned, we do have the book, The Courage to Be Free. Uh, <laughs> give us a few months on that. I think we're going to put up a lot of wins, and then we'll be in a better position uh, to make a decision about the future. Oh. Is it fair to say you're thinking about it? I think it's fair to say that I uh, have people coming up to me and asking me to do it all the time. Uh, I'm very good about just putting one step in front of the other and focusing on the task at hand. So I don't get too far down the field with anything. Uh, I got to execute the mission right here. And as we get beyond that, we'll take a look. Yeah, I have people coming up to me all the time not asking me that question. I can promise you that. Shut up. No boomer sweats. He feels he sounds controlled in this interview. I, th- like, I think right now there's certain boundaries that the, the team around him is kind of, you know, and, and, and when I talk about the team, you got to talk about Christina Pushaw, the registered former agent who's worked for a dictator who's just as good of friends with Zelensky as you can be. And then he's got his comms director, probably the yeah. one that's setting these boundaries right now, who went around and celebrated the uh, murder of a, of a U.S. service woman at the Capitol on January 6th, an unarmed uh, service right. woman. So, you know, that's the, that's the team right now that's kind of pumping him full of uh, ideas and, and probably, you know, limiting to the points that, listen, don't go past this. They're going to ask you. It, it looks bad if you stop just, you know, deflecting it. So answer these questions uh, without just avoiding it in the most normal way possible. Don't get into any details. Don't set dates. Don't move the goalpost. Don't even talk about any of the other people that have announced or, or potentially could announce. Just do what you need to do to get through the question, and then they'll move it along. So I, I saw last night that uh, Raheem Kassam jumped on with uh, – he jumped on a podcast and was talking about the whole weekend that was in regards to all the stuff that's going on, and I, I definitely think it's uh, it's good. You know, as we're talking about this too, I, I do want to remind everybody that Ron DeSantis and his team is working hard behind the scenes to get through Florida legislation. That whole um, that whole rule, the changing the the right to run rule, where you know in Florida right now, if if Ron DeSantis was to announce later in the summer that he was going to enter the presidential primary, he would be vacating his role as the governor. He's working behind the scenes to get it through the legislative process to change that rule to where if he decides to run in the presidential election in 2024 and does not become the Republican nominee, he can go back to the governorship of Florida and finish out his term. 
So, and I, I do have to give a lot of credit to Laura Loomer who put out an awesome six minute video on that. It's on her YouTube channel. It's also on our social medias. So for, for people that are working behind the scenes to expose a lot of the, you know, blueprint that's kind of being unveiled here as we go through the months heading into the presidential primary, I, I do think that's a good reference point to look at. But uh, Raheem Ghassan was on yesterday talking about, you know, basically everything that happened and, and who essentially the best person is for the job. Let's hear him shape this race up if there's even a race do you think even DeSantis is actually running yeah I think it's probably beyond the case now that that people can make uh, uh, that, that he's not running it's 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 not feasible it's not plausible uh, for this guy to be you know backing the the changes to the legislation in Florida about whether or not the governor can run for federal office or not at the same time touring the country at all of these specific very controlled very um you know uh, localized events and at the same time trying to ignore the place where he'd get humiliated which is somewhere like cpac now it is interesting to me that you know 10 years ago we used to have cpacs of 10,000 people 12,000 people and nowadays we've got cpacs of about 3,000 people um and that i think is because you know in a lot of ways they're scared a lot of people who are um not fully with the margo america first agenda I'm mm. kind of scared to go up there and face the truth of it all, which is that there is a there is a core group of people that will never let go of the fact that there is a person who served four years in office, deserved another four years, earned a four years, yep. was was elected for another four years, if you ask me, uh, fair if we're talking about fair elections here, yeah. um, and didn't get that second thing. And it's like, are you really going to hit the reset button now? Are you really going to let somebody else in here that has to accumulate knowledge over another first four years um, in the Oval Office, or, or crazy thought, do you let the guy who knows where the bodies are buried back in there to start yep. pointing them out? Do you let the teams who you know experienced all the things that you wanted them to find out in the first place and it can actually do something about it a second time around? I think the Republican base has a very easy um, answer in front of it. That answer is Donald Trump. The National Pulse, my outlet, has already endorsed Donald Trump. Yep. But, you know, never, never... Uh, it's it's the same with the left as it on, is on the right, right? Never expect people necessarily to always choose the easiest path. Sometimes, for whatever reason, we like some resistance in our lives. It ain't well, it ain't worth it. And you know that was Raheem Kassam, editor in chief of the National Pulse. He appeared last night on Grant Stitchfield's primetime show, and that was it's pretty amazing, Alan. You know, if you just look at some of the talking points that he hit there in that like two and a half minute clip, he kind of outlined like the first two quarters of our show right now. and uh, <laughs> I guess that's why you can consider him a professional. And uh, that's why we're still working on it every week here, but you know, we got to develop these talking points here. We have to kind of lay out a lot more for our listenership. We want you guys to be in the know, in the truth. We want to be able to explain everything to you guys in detail, give you guys receipts, past experiences, and, and all these contributed factors that you might not be catching across everywhere. Uh, that you're only going to catch here on Steak for Breakfast. And, and and a lot of that goes into this whole narrative with Donald Trump. There's so much more to the, to, to the story of him running for president other than him running for president that you have to kind of put the totality of circumstances together to be able to make a more informed decision moving forward. And that's the goal of the show here moving forward. We're going to continue to develop on you know, potential challengers to Donald Trump. Uh, we're going to recap his CPAC speech again, get a little bit of commentary, and we're actually going to talk about the breaking news that came out last night on Tucker Carlson's show regarding the January 6th narrative as we're getting ready to sit down right now with the uh, former deputy assistant to Donald Trump, Theo Wold. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. 
Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show, he's a former deputy assistant to President Trump, one of our great friends coming back to provide a bunch of commentary today. Mr. Theo Wold, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me on. It's always great to be here. Sir, how's everything going with you? It's been busy times for uh, everyone that's Trump adjacent. I can only imagine the same goes for you. Yeah, yeah, it's been wild. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, we talked about this before, but the pace at which uh, things are either starting to unravel for some of the leading narratives on the left, uh, whether it's January 6th uh, or the election interference stuff, um, and then also, you know, internationally, whether it's in Ukraine or, I mean, I think I, I think some of your listeners are probably following in on the um, the interference by the Chinese in the Canadian elections, but that story is also metastasizing very quickly. And I think just the, the last three weeks alone have just been Man, a lot, a lot of truth is being uh, being revealed. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Chinese influence going on all over the world right now. It's a great point that you brought up talking about the Canadian elections. I've seen that starting to make it into uh, some of the more normal places where people might catch their news as well. You did mention January 6th. Let's start with the end of the last Trump presidency before we talk about some of the stuff more current, and, and that's uh, Donald Trump's bid to win the White House again in 2024. So we saw last night on Tucker Carlson, uh, and, and I'm going to lead you in here, Theo. We had Darren Beatty on just about a week ago. Uh, Raheem Kassam is a regular guest on the show as well. They they've both have done a lot of investigation of work and provided a lot of narrative and commentary in regards to kind of deconstructing the whole Fed direction, you know, uh, aspects of, of January 6th. We didn't see anything last night on Tucker Carlson that was necessarily new to people who know what's going on and talk about it, who have come on shows like this to provide. But now that we're starting to like normalize the other side of the story for like the non-politically educated and, and, and the rest of the general public, what do you think we're going to uh, achieve by where Tucker Carlson's probably going with this? Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the most significant storylines to emerge from last night is is precisely what you just laid down. For people who have been following this, um, who are invested in this story, there was nothing surprising about uh, Tucker's segment last night. Um, I think for the majority of Americans who are not invested in unearthing the fine details that may escape the reach of the legacy media uh, who are, you know, working their jobs or paying their mortgages. Uh, last night was a thunderclap. Um, and I think what emerged from there was, you know, two, two simple facts. One, the January 6th committee was essentially a, a very well or orchestrated, well choreographed fraud. Um, you know, it was uh, like ice dancing or, um, you know, the XFL. It looks really cool. And a lot of people spend a lot of money making it, uh, a primetime news event, and it's it's actually just uh, completely fake. And I think the other fact that was that was you know uh, determined last night, and that was the legacy media had a huge role in perpetuating a narrative that was essentially a lie uh, from the very beginning. And I think um, anytime you have you can essentially match the legacy media firepower for firepower, um, and we should we should never discount how significant of a platform Tucker Carlson has with sure. that show. Um, that's, that's when you start to make inroads with the way average Americans 
think and conceptualize uh, a, a media arc, a narrative arc. And so I, I think the architecture of the whole January 6th event is, uh, is crumbling right now in real time. And I think this is why it's so important um, for folks to stay on top of the details uh, and for our side to get uh, the facts right. Um, because as you know, and this is something that Darren and Rahim always talk about, um, just because they're proven wrong, they're very adept, very adroit at then maneuvering the storyline and congealing a new set of facts uh, to, to, to once again subvert the truth. And that's the thing we need to avoid now. Yeah, it certainly is. I think just kind of slow dripping, you know, because there was a lot of people who came out on social media last night and this is like, oh, this is what we already know. This is like nothing new. Like, what is Tucker Carlson doing? McCarthy and Tucker are complicit in like continuing to cover up the real. And I'm like, guys, it's like three five minute pieces over the course of who knows how long he's going to roll with it. And you have to take into consideration what the totality of the audience is. It's not all of us who are dialed in. It's not all of us who like, uh, you know, run podcasts or run new shows. And, and in between, you know, those events are talking with everybody in the community, comparing notes and, and being on the same page. So the narrative is honest and true. This is like, it's cliche to say, but this is for the normies. This is for the people who, you know, every time they hear yeah. the words January 6th, it, it's on a big screen behind a panel on MSNBC or CNN or CBS this morning. And it's a bunch of like a dozen guys pushing on police officers and, you know, uh, cops shooting smoke bombs into a crowd of people that is getting agitated because of it. Those are the only things that some people have literally seen and all they know about January 6th. And then when you talk about the overall production of it, when you hire one of the most prominent ABC producers to come in and put on a production of that nature, the fishbowl lensing, the, uh, you know, uh, dramatizations in and out of commercial breaks and stuff like that. You, you kind of scare people into believing like this is what really happened when there's an entire side of the story that the American public has no idea is going on. They don't know who Darren Beatty is. They might not, uh, you know, have heard from Raheem Kassam since he was, uh, you know, on War Room or, or working uh, adjacent to the last administration and stuff like that in the early years and the transition team and, and stuff. And. You know, it, it's it's reintroducing these people to not only faces that might not be familiar, but a narrative that's not familiar as well. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And, um, you know, uh, the lawyer in me would say there are a lot of implications that are triggered legally from some of what was presented last night. And I think Mike Davis, um, anyone who's not following him, you should probably look him up um, in the Article 3 project. And Mike Davis yeah. was very quick to seize on some of these issues, um, including, you know, the potential of, of did DOJ know? Uh, that there was, uh, you know, a, a, a greater universe of expo potentially exculpatory evidence available um, that could have exonerated some of these defendants, or at least contextualize uh, the regime's, you know, asserted charges against some of the January 6th defendants. And here again, I'd say, you know, everyone knows, you know, I, I hope most of your listeners are following Julie Kelly uh, and the great research that, you know, an investigative reporting she's been doing. But, she's you know, amazing. She just, yeah, it's been it's been incredible. I mean, really a heroic effort. And in many instances alone in reviewing the transcripts, uh, you know, following the docket sheets for each defendant. But she put something else up today, which is DOJ just moved uh, yesterday for continuance in one case because they said, well, we're still unearthing, um, you know, sort of universal evidence, universal meaning, you know, evidence, not just particular to that one case, but that could be used against all the January 6th defendants. And these kinds of concessions 
questions. I, I, I agree with you. And it may not be enough for some of our friends who follow the ins and outs of this and, oh, no big deal. Um, you know, and, and what's the regime going to do now? They're just going to close ranks. And, and, and that's partly right. They will close ranks. But, you know, if we've got folks like Representative Massey or uh, Representative Bishop who are on this weaponization, weaponization committee, if they're willing to seize upon this, and as Representative Massey said the other day, okay, we want the full catalog of video. We also want a full inventory from the intelligence and security state agencies to see how much uh, were they, you know, how much pre-planning and coordination did they have and how many agents and personnel did they contribute on January 6th, yeah. uh, ostensibly for security, but we know for, for other purposes. Now, now is not the time to let up on the gas. Now is the time to exert maximum pressure. Sure. No, that, that makes complete sense. And, and just to give, I mean, when you look at the, the production style, the Josh Hawley narrative running through the hallway scared that was blown up on Tucker Carlson last night, if that's not enough to have people say like, well, I have seen this on TV for like the last year and a half. And I always thought that this guy w w was just scared running out of the building. And then when you see Tucker Carlson kind of show like this was completely staged and edited to make him look bad and him look bad alone. It doesn't contribute to the narrative at all or anything. It was just kind of to take your mind off of. And, and like what they showed the room's reaction, everybody laughed. And then when you talk about the people who were really involved, the BDs, the Kassams, Julie Kelly, Mike Davis, like if they're confirming online that this is a great start for the American public to start to digest the other side of the narrative, then I'm completely good with it as well. Yeah, I do want to switch gears. Donald Trump did mention January 6th and talked about pardoning all nonviolent offenders on that day. And part of his CPAC keynote address that he gave over the weekend, he hammered everybody in the straw poll, winning by a margin of over 40%, which was no surprise to us here on the show. We, we obviously look at President Trump as the uh, you know only candidate who's in the race right now and the clear defined leader of the Republican Party, the conservative movement. Uh, but, you know, he hit a bunch of policy points. He talked about the border. He talked about the federal government taking over Washington, D.C. He also made, you know, took some swings at his uh, historical adversaries, Paul Ryan, Carl Rove, uh, Jeb Bush, and Mitch McConnell. What was your biggest takeaways from his keynote address? I think, you know, it's kind of consistent with uh, what we discussed last time I was on when, you know, the question there was, where are the rallies? You know, where where's the massive enthusiasm and excitement? Why is it, why does it seem so quiet? And, you know, my answer then was this is good it's a good sign that the president is proceeding methodically with essentially like an old school um you know a campaign that's built around close contact with state leaders in in early primary voting states um the speech was was is in that similar vein that it was heavy on policy heavy on um a new commitment uh to sort of the the bookend to 2016 if you will and and i've been fairly free with the criticism of the 2020 campaign. Um, you know, there were, as I've said before, there were individuals, you know, back in the day uh, who said, you know, our big mistake in 15 was that we allowed Bannon to have a whiteboard with all the promises that, that Trump made on the campaign trail. Sure. And we want to essentially run an amorphous campaign um, and avoid locking him into having to fulfill promises to the American people. And that was a huge mistake. Huge mistake. And what I liked about this speech was there were specific policy prescriptions, things that, you know, some of the deep state actors in the Trump administration, people I had to work alongside with in 19 and 20, um, you know, avoided or they torpedoed at the time, especially on on trans issues or, you know, as the president uh, described, the mass deportations. Yeah. And those were those were two of the issues. Personally, I was I was most excited to hear. And I think you and I know um, 
this you know gets back to the same thing with the January 6th committee. We, we can't let off uh, uh, on the gas as supporters of the president or of you know the wider realignment to a national populist party. We have to make sure that the personnel element follows from this because you you know with the deportations, for example, you cannot have an H1B lobbyist or uh, you know a bushy crony holdover execute that policy. They're never going to do it. Yep. They're never going to do it. So you've, you've got to find the kinds of people who have uh, obviously the capabilities, but the commitment to see that kind of promise through to the end. So I, I thought it was a, a great speech. And, you know, I think it's it's a joke that that folks like uh, Vivek Ramaswamy want to somehow imply that uh, the outcome of a straw poll uh, can be dismissed because there are nefarious actions by the American political union or the conservative union or somehow the straw poll is bought and paid for. I mean, Vivek uh, is, as his name kind of suggests, he's totally fake. Um, and I think any any truly MAGA aligned uh, supporter needs to be very wary of people who are selling, uh, as he calls himself, you know, Trump 2.0. And, and, and as you said, I think I think Trump will make quick work of those kinds of candidates. But um, the real challenge is is uh, still in the offing. Yeah, he'll knock his hairpiece right off, both figuratively and literally, when he gets <laughs> on, the, on the debate stage, if he lasts that long. And you made some great points yeah. there. Going back to the whiteboard analogy, uh, Donald Trump, over the course of his initial campaign to run for president, the first term, you know, laid out a whole bunch of these build the walls and, and make our city. Sh- sh- now he's offering up the same talking points that have evolved, and he's offering plausible solutions. Crime is out of control. We want to make our city safe. Example, let's federalize uh, control of Washington, D.C. The border is out of control. We've let in close to 10 million people probably, including getaways over the course of the last two years. Let's bring in Tom Holman from Central Casting, who we heard from earlier in the show today, and let's have him run ICE again and run the biggest deportation mission in, in, in the history of the United States and, and the federal government. And then he's, he, you're allowed to be vague on some things. Okay, ending the war in Ukraine, why play your cards there? What Donald Trump says behind closed doors is between him and the other world leaders that he would eventually meet with when he retakes the White House, and he doesn't have to outline like a step-by-step bullet point laid out plan on, on what he would do. I mean, if he's going to tell Putin, stop invading Ukraine, or we're going to nuke Moscow behind closed doors, he's not going to go out on the campaign trail and, and, and go off that. So he's definitely... Take- I, I think that's right. I think that's right. And, and if I if I can just add sure. on that point... Um, this is a, an issue that the president singularly owns. Yes. Because no one, no, no one of the last 40 to 50 years has the record that Donald Trump does of keeping the United States out of unnecessary conflicts, uh, foreign adventurism, um, or these sort of, you know, as, as I said the other day to a friend, um, we're going to send materiel, we're going to use our uh, vast intelligence capacities um, and we're going to start using our defense contractors to send everything uh, from you know fighter jets to tanks and everything, but no ground troops. Right. No ground troops in Ukraine. Right. Like not believable in, in, in the slightest. Donald Trump's the only only candidate for national office who has a proven track record of keeping the American people safe. So so no domestic uh, terror threats, no, no, uh, you know, no terror attacks. So keeping the American people safe and keeping our military forces out of unnecessary conflicts. And I think um, it's indisputable uh, to, to your point. There's there's no need for him to go into the details of how he would navigate the Ukrainian conflict. Right. If anything, uh, you know, from the pundit class to the, the so-called experts in the foreign policy circles, um, you know, they, they should probably shut their mouths and step back because the, the man has a record um, and he de- demonstrated the commitment to keeping us out of foreign wars. And at the very least, 
on the campaign trail. I, I hope that's what he sticks to was look at my four year period. Look at what came after me. Look at what came before me. And what's the difference? No, that's, that's that's it right there. And and then when you talk about that uh, competition and and the widening field, we did see uh, a lot of the you know legacy media's potential hopefuls make the Sunday morning news circuit uh, rounds this weekend. I'll just give you the list. Uh, not only well, we mentioned Vivek and, and Dirty of taking care of him, but Nikki Haley, Chris Anunu, Asa Hutchington, Larry Hogan, who's officially bowed out, probably better off for him. Ron DeSantis was force-fed to us on on the, the the Murdoch paid for networks throughout the course of last week. I had it on our last show. He appeared on every single show for no less than ten minutes over a course of like a six day period and, and and just kind of got the same non-answer talking points. And uh, Carl Rove provided a little bit of commentary on, on Donald Trump as well on, on, on a Sunday morning talk show. What can you say about the rest of the field and, and what could you see materializing here other than like a sword sharpening opportunity for Donald Trump moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, top line, I'm a little disappointed that candidates like uh, Larry Hogan didn't actually pull the trigger um, I would have loved to have seen him as a as, as essentially a stuffed shirt punching bag for the yeah. president on, on debate stages or on the trail. Um, and and I and I you know and, and specific to Governor Hogan, I mean I think some people said it best on, on some socials a few weeks ago, which is you know he's the type of Republican who allows Democrats to govern um, a state. So Maryland actually moved significantly to the left under his watch. Yep. Uh, but then but then he wants to you know run nationally as a, you know, a unifying Republican. I think we've had enough of that. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and as for the other candidates in the field, I mean, I think Secretary Pompeo is sniffing it out. Obviously the vice president uh, Pence is, is going to be making a run. Um, I, I think for your listeners, the key thing to, to look for and watch for, it's the same with Vivek's pitch of being, you know, uh, 2016 or Trump 2.0. Um, the, the policies that matter are trade, immigration, and staying out of foreign wars. And there's no candidate in the field who has made that same commitment. None. I mean, Nikki Haley wants to talk about uh, you know, expanding uh, legal immigration. Vivek wants to talk about merit immigration. Um, you know, uh, Asa Hutchinson wants to talk about how uh, you know, trans isn't the right issue. We need a more civil and courteous Republican Party. Um, you know, and was all for the Bush uh, foreign adventurism back in the day. So, I, I, you know, if, if you are committed to seeing the Republican Party become the vehicle for working, hardworking men and women of this nation, of this country, uh, of America, then none of the candidates that are on offing right now are, are worthy of your vote. Um, it's, it's, it is a Trump contest and a lot of other people who want to bring us back to the Romney-Ryan party uh, of the Bushies. Yeah, it's the people who should be getting on board with President Trump like former Vice President Pence, although there's not really anywhere else for him to go except into the public sector if he doesn't really want to give this a run to probably write some more books and, you know, uh, be able to get his checks at think tanks. But when you talk about Pompeo, Nikki Haley, uh, they're, they're all still fairly young. <coughs> they all should be taking uh, the, the lead that President Trump's given is that we have unfinished business. We didn't finish the job, and this is why. It has to do with the administrative state. It has to do with the rhino Republicans, and I want to be a part of that solution. They just want to contribute to the problem by running up and and, and trying to offer their version of, of whatever it is. I don't even think it's like MAGA 2.0 in either one of their cases because you know they run on a very establishment, very close to the biopharmaceutical complex, the media complex, the, the military-industrial complex, and things like that in both of their cases. So 
you know, it, it's one of those things. Loyalty is everything. I know Donald Trump really didn't hammer Nikki Haley yet because they had a phone conversation before she made her announcement. I'm pretty sure that he gave <coughs> her the blessing but said, listen, <laughs> I ain't going to pull no punches once we get up on the debate stage. We all know that's going to be true. So, I mean, she can't get through a speaking event without talking about China, Iran, and Russia. W- when you hear that coming out of Republicans' mouth, they could say they want as much peace as possible. You know it's the complete opposite. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing with Mike Pompeo. He put out a tweet yesterday. The first one was uh, January 6th was an inside job. I said it would have been amazing if you would have said this two years ago. And the second one was about there is no way Ukraine can lose on the battlefield. And that means, you know, for the non-uniform U.S. military personnel that's already over there training Ukrainians, the next step would obviously be uniform personnel. We can't be doing anything like that moving forward with some of these potential candidates and challengers to Donald Trump in 2024. Theo, we don't sit down with you enough. We need to sit down with you more. I love the commentary that you brought to the show today. I'm sure our listenership really enjoyed it as well. For anyone that's not following you on social media, we're going to live link the uh, Heritage Foundation Fellowship uh, portion. And uh, where can we find you on socials? Uh, at Real Theo Wold on Instagram and on, on Twitter. Um, yeah, and I, I love coming on. I mean, it's so important at this stage, uh, coming out of the last, you know, the midterm election cycle, going into this general that uh, anyone, as I said before, who's interested in seeing the Republican Party, you know, passably, I mean, it's never going to be perfect, but passively become um, a party for the aspirations of the working men and women of this country, you should be committed to, to verifying and vetting uh, these candidates and also their policies. As you said, watch their language, watch it closely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll be looking to circle back with you in the very near future. So this is the former deputy assistant to the 45th president of the United States, Mr. Theo Wold. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me on again. Talk to you guys soon. Take care. And I had uh, these terrible headaches, was diagnosed with having a... a, uh, Oh! Anyway, they had to take the top of my head off a couple times, (laughs) see if I had a brain. Well, Frankenstein confirmed. For all those listening, that is Noah. He's live on location from forklift training. It's a it's an undisclosed location. Noah, how are things going? Probably better than uh, it's pretty good. Better than with Joe Biden. Apparently, he had the top of his head removed several times. And after Donald Trump alluded to literally Silence of the Lambs, I think we pretty much know what we got the after credits locked in for at the end of the show today. But how are things going with you? <laughs> uh, you know, picking him up, put put him back down. Uh, oddly enough, I guess you probably could take somebody's head off with the top of a forklift. I guess, but you know, whatever. So you're saying that now you're our. Uh, senior medical correspondent assigned to doing Joe Biden's brain surgeries. <laughs> no, I, I think that would be a threat on the president's life in, in some kind of weird way. Oh man. Well, yeah. Alan Jacoby just checked out and uh, Noah's jumping in for, for the last brief news segment we have here. We're just checking in on the regime. Obviously Joe Biden is ill uh, in, in many ways, shapes and forms, but he disclosed that, at, you know, Joe Biden had a procedure done recently and uh, they had found some tumorous materials on in and around his his head and and apparently when he tried to describe it to a, a group of supporters the other day yeah he basically talked about the end of Hannibal so that that that's kind of where he's at it, it's not funny that he doesn't know what he's talking about where he is you know at the end of that speaking engagement he did try to walk off the stage the wrong way and the guy who he was turning the mic over to had to kind of redirect him and push him back in the other direction but when we see a much more younger you would think mentally capable and uh, should be able to speak a little bit better. Kamala Harris doing the same kind of Joe Bidening that uh, she was doing the other day. Let's hear the person who's got her finger on the nuclear codes if anything happens to Joe Biden directly after he got done talking. 
I'm going to share with you a very simple story, which is that I went home one day and I said, well, what's, why are conservatives bad, mommy? Because oh. I thought we were supposed to conserve things. Oh. 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 I couldn't reconcile oh. Oh. it. Now I can. <laughs> um, Why, why is she always so excited to, to say literally nothing? Can you believe that's the president and the vice president of the United States? Yes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I've just gotten used to it. Like, everything that's happening now, like, there's nothing you could throw at me that would surprise me anymore. Oh, I bet you I got, I got you with one, but we're going to hear a clip before that. You know, the week wasn't any easier for White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre as KJP was hammered with uh, Biden's special interest-laden questions throughout the course of the White House press pool segment that they do there a few times a week. First of all, it's been uh, disclosed recently that the Biden administration has taken two of the biggest Russian oligarchs on several watch lists, especially ones that conservatives want to know, why aren't they being sanctioned? You'll never guess this one, Noah. They have direct ties to Hunter Biden's business dealings. Well, like, I mean... Like I said, no surprise. Mm. I'm telling you, after this clip, I'm going to get you, but let's hear this one first. Regarding Russia's sanctions, I'm wondering if you could uh, share the reason why President Biden hasn't sanctioned the Russian billionaires uh, Vladimir Yevtushenkov and Yelena Katerina. Um, how, how is he handling the conflict of interest there, giving his son was a business associate of these two people? And can you confirm that as sitting vice president, he dined with Batarina in Georgetown? I, I'm just not speaking to um, anything that's related to his son from here. If you want to have, if you want to ask question about uh, Hunter Biden specifically, I would refer you to his family oh. and as. As it relates to any sanctions, I'm not speaking to individual uh, individual persons uh, that are from Russia. Got her. <laughs> you really can't make this shit up unless you were doing a really good sci-fi movie and, and the next one just absolutely kind of floored me. Now, you know, we've just spent a, an enormous amount of time on the show here covering the bad response Joe Biden had to the Chinese spy balloons. We then, you know, saw over the course of the next week or so, Joe Biden blew up a whole bunch of kids' science projects and, and stopped the border patrol from using their uh, reconnaissance balloons as well. Take that out of the equation. Have you heard about the Chinese spy cranes yet? Spy cranes. Got you. You said I wasn't going to surprise you. And here we are. Let's well, hear. <laughs> let's what hear. do you mean? Like a, like a bird? No, 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 or no. An actual like, crane that's moving things yes i would consider it a uh, construction apparatus and uh, uh just when you thought nothing could surprise you let's hear peter Ducey do it subject how worried should americans be about china spying on them here at home and what do you mean specifically peter well there were the chinese spy balloons and now there are these chinese spy cranes the wall street journal is comparing them to trojan horses and use at 80% of U.S. ports? So let me first say that what the American people could be assured of is that this president is going to protect them uh, and making sure that we put our national security uh, first when it comes to um, really? uh, when it comes to no, not uh, anything really. that they feel uh, could be uh, could threaten that. And so and the president has shown that he's shown that over and over again. So on on the cranes don't have to uh, don't have any comment on that specific reporting i would refer you to department of transportation uh and oh, the great department Mayor of defense Pete. not, not who've the been department uh, tasked of with congress to study uh this particular issue the national security council in close coordination with the department of homeland security and department oh. of defense oh. coast guard and oh. members of the intelligence committee have oh. been 
actively working to address potential cyber vulnerabilities across the marine transportation system. This includes enhanced coordination across the federal government and engagement uh, with key stakeholders in the maritime industry. And just last month, the administration issued a worldwide maritime port vulnerabilities advisory, underscoring the potential threats posed by foreign manufacturer port equipment. So uh, again, this is something that the president takes very seriously, and uh, we'll always take action to make sure we protect our national security. And if this is a Department of Transportation lead, does Secretary Buttigieg have experience it's a, with it's it's not just a, it's not just the Department of Transportation; it's also the Department of Defense. <laughs> and I, I've never seen someone crash and burn so hard in uh, a potential run for the presidency as Mayor Pete has in the last month. Uh, you know, there was a huge chemical fire, uh, an explosion in, in Ohio yesterday, and a second train derailed, even though there was no hazardous materials leaked at this point. I just hope they don't decide to blow this one up. But, you know, you, you talk about all the other infrastructure-related problems that the administration's been, you know, facing after they got nearly $2 trillion to address it uh, not too long ago. Now you have Chinese spy cranes, and I guess, you know, uh, there are maybe cameras, listening devices and stuff, and, and like they said, at, at our waterway ports of entry these cranes that are becoming under scrutiny as maybe compromised by the ccp are at over 80 percent of our ports so definitely alarming um what do you think so we're talking about we're talking about like the cranes that are offloading like container ships and stuff like that or yep yep yeah so definitely those would also be unloading military equipment and stuff as well at some points too sure yeah not yeah, just that, not just sketchy. not just supply chain related. It's, it's going to be good. We'll be able to talk to supply chain expert Jim Nels about this on our Friday edition of the show. And we're getting ready in just a moment to sit down with John Davis. He's a former uh, police officer. He was a veteran and uh, just wrote a book about the spiritual battles that sometimes the men and women who put on the uniforms go out and every day have to go on uh, fighting and, and and what happens when you bring that home. Something that hit home with a lot of people in our listenership today, we touched on it with Theo Wold not too long ago, uh, was you know the, the beginning of the Tucker Carlson docudrama series deconstructing the narrative that is January 6th. Uh, people in the know were unsatisfied with it, but you know as we alluded to with Theo uh, just, just a bit ago on the show was that there's a huge demographic of people who know nothing except, you know, the file footage of people pushing on police officers at the Capitol. And, uh, you know, we saw a lot of things last night that, that probably opened a lot of people's eyes. And, you know, if Tucker's going to do this in any kind of professional way, uh, that's really going to be something that starts to flip this narrative back into the reality of it. He's going to have to do it at kind of a, a slow walking pace. Uh, I know you probably saw at least clips from it, Noah. Not really too many surprises there. Everything that we hadn't seen, we talked about on the show uh, with people who, you know, were, were in the know in and around the Capitol, including a lot of the former Trump administration officials that come through the show. But it it's, just goes to show you how much it hits with essentially the normies because you have both sides of the Senate today uh, sounding the alarms. I, I'm pretty sure you haven't heard it yet. Let's hear our favorite Werther's original spokesman talking about the Tucker Carlson docu or Tucker Carlson's episode last night instead of anything that services the American people just a few moments ago up on Capitol Hill. With the Capitol Police's very serious concerns about the release of this footage, was it a mistake by Speaker McCarthy to give access to Tucker Carlson of this security footage? Get your papers away from the mic, Mitch. My uh, concern is how it was depicted, which is a different issue. 
clearly the chief of the Capitol Police, in my view, correctly describes what most of us witnessed firsthand on January 6th. Oh. So that's my reaction to it. Um, He's wearing the Ukraine tie again it today. Was a mistake, in my view, for <sighs> perfect Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at the Capitol thinks. That's the case. Following up on what you said, Tucker Carlson has already teased another round of videos that are going to be released today. I understand that you're upset with the way that Fox is depicting it, but he's been forecasting this for months, asking for this access to this footage to have a presentation just like this. Was it a mistake for the speaker to hand that? You guys know I have many faults, but one of them is not answering the question in a way that I don't want to answer it. Oh. I've given you the answer. <laughs> Why do you think there are some within your party who don't want to acknowledge January 6th as an attack or an insurrection? <laughs> Shall I give you the same answer again? <laughs> Anybody want to ask me something different? See, that's the, that's the funny part, Noah, is that he doesn't want to answer that question because they know now... I, you know, one of the biggest things we saw last night, it was the, the dunk fest that the January 6th committee took on Josh Hawley for like the greater part of the last year and a half. They showed that like two second video of him running through a corridor. And then last night in Tucker Carlson, as, as you and I both saw, there was like 30 Congress people and police who ran before Josh Hawley. And during that exclusive piece of footage, he was one of the last people out of that group, which the January 6th committee and their ABC producer went and cut up and just used it as something to make fun of the Republican congressman while they were trying to distract the American public from a lot of the not bad. I mean, we saw Congress people giving guided tours in not the Capitol building, which was used as supposed to be in the Capitol building during the January 6th committee. We saw, you know, the, the QN and shaman being guided around by at, at some points, nine different Capitol police officers, like taking selfies with them and like explaining to him different parts of the Capitol as they're just walking through, not <laughs> causing it was really, you know, just a little bit of the other side of the story that we know, but a lot of the, you know, politically uneducated and the general public doesn't and they're losing their absolute mind that this narrative that they've been able to hold on to and something that they definitely want to pin on Donald Trump in the 2024 presidential election is is that not only did he instigate it but it was worse than every civil war 9-11 Hiroshima Nagasaki Pearl Harbor combined plus Ukraine only if Putin wins and and now that narrative is starting to slip through their fingers what do you think well, how much how much of this video stuff is actually going to surface to the general public? Because, I mean, like we know, there's so many people where, like, let's say, for instance, you're sharing something on social media and you're sharing it from an account that's named like Trump 2024 or gotcha. something like that. There's a lot of people that are going to see that and they're going to completely disregard it. They're just going to flip, flip right past it. And Tucker Carlson is one of those iconic figures that everybody's just like oh you know the right is i you know tucker carlson like so as much stuff as he puts out how much of it is actually bleeding through onto the actual legacy media that the normies will be watching is there i mean have you seen anything on anything but well somewhat quote-unquote friendly outlets i'll have to ask alan because he's more of a facebook aficionado than we are but i did watch the 
the handoff between Tucker and, and Boomer Sweats last night, and there was, besides thanking him for his journalistic integrity, Sean Hannity didn't even touch it. So where you might not have people watching Tucker Carlson who jo- watched Sean Hannity and then Laura Ingram following, uh, it's like Darren Beatty pointed out, does it really matter for the people who watch Tucker Carlson and then Sean Hannity? Because you're getting like what you know people like Darren Beatty would consider more journalistic integrity and a true narrative, and then you're turning it over to Boomer Sweats there who's going to tell you like everything's bad and, and hit you with all those 80s, 90s Republican talking points. I wish that was well, yeah, but it's also it's also both of those people on the same channel. So sure. there's people that disregard that entire block of journalism just based on the fact that it's Fox, though. Yeah, no that that that's also a good point, and I think uh, you know there was a lot of pressure from the from the Senate minority and majority leader today to uh, you know go after Rupert Murdoch, who we all know is no friend of Donald Trump, and wishes probably that the January sixth narrative hangs over his head for the for the rest of time, but uh, you know. And, and and kind of challenge Fox News and, and the Murdoch media conglomerate to go and take uh, this stuff and, and get it off of, you know, television. So we're going to hear from the Senate majority leader right now. Uh, I've got a couple clips lined up, uh, and he's talking about just that. So let's hear it. Tucker Carlson is a propagandist oh. publicly pretending to be a newsman. We know that. We know that Fox News knows, that Rupert Murdoch knows, and that he knows that they're liars, that they're propagandists, that they're destroying America for some kind of monetary or other advantage. We've heard in federal court that he's paid by Fox News, that Rupert Murdoch specifically has asked them to promote a particular point of view, regardless of the facts. This man didn't just embrace the big lie. He was one of the loudest voices perpetuating it. Chief cook and bottle washer of the big lie after Donald Trump. All the while knowing it was a big lie. What has happened to any standards of honor, of honesty, of decency in America? when this happens. With that contempt for facts and knowing full well that he was lying to America, Tucker Carlson ran a lengthy segment last night arguing the January 6th Capitol attack was not, not a violent insurrection. An attempt to rewrite history and erode the very foundation of our precious and sometimes fragile democracy. So yes, this morning I am furious. Millions of Americans are furious. I was here on January 6th. Many of you saw the footage as I ran for my life, coming within a few feet of these criminals. Oh, no. (laughs) I know. Oh, Chuck Schumer. See, and this goes for my life. This goes right to your point, Noah. How many people are going to be force fed on so many other outlets? a snippet of that clip other than anything that Tucker Carlson put out tonight or anything that Tucker Carlson put out that people share across their social media. So that's a good one right there. And and, and well, how is this asshole saying that he was in more of a dangerous position than the officer who shot a lady in the face? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and, and I, and I do hope that, you know, it looks like they're going down that road to deconstruct a lot of this and, uh, you know, all it does is kind of level the field in regards to you're going to have like, 
you know, this side of the argument, which shows there were other things that went on other than like the brief footages of like a bike rack getting thrown, cops smoke bombing people, and then all those people under in, in like the big gutter manhole on the side of the Capitol pushing against the police officers and, and Ashley Babbitt getting shot in the face. There was other things that went on there. There was a whole bunch of congressmen, not just Josh Hawley running through the hallways because they were being escorted out of the building, which we couldn't really tell from the clip that was shown with the January 6th committee. There was the testimony of the four, and I'm air quoting now, Capitol Police officers who who kind of gave like, you know, the saddest renditions of everything that happened that day. The counter to that is Tucker Carlson's going to have a Capitol Police officer on his show tonight, probably soon to be former Capitol Police officer, but he'll be joining yeah. Tucker Carlson to talk about some of the things that he saw from his perspective that day and what he thinks a lot of the uh, people in Congress aren't, aren't, aren't telling the truth about. So... You know, it's good that we got to touch on this. No, it's also good that we got to sit down with you. You're going to be in and out of the office pretty much at training for over the course of the next couple shows. But, uh, you know, as we're getting ready to jump in with John Davis here right now, I, I do think it was good that we were able to uh, hit this a little bit for our listenership. And, and, and like, we know, we know, we know this already. <laughs> But, you know, you got to understand there's a huge base, millions of people who don't. And, and as we're getting ready to uh, see where Tucker Carlson goes with this. Uh, all we well, could- did you see the sorry to interrupt, but did sure. you see uh, there was I, I don't remember what outlet was 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 posting it, but there was a video of Capitol Police, basically a negligent discharge of a, of a, like a CS round that went into their own formation. Did you catch that one? Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't sure how they were trying to spin that. Like, oh, that was why the Capitol Police weren't effective because they were too busy gassing themselves. Well, and you saw those. Or if it was just those videos, the chaos that was, but by, you know, ineptitude that was going on because they really were just, I mean, they were set up to fail. That was, that was on purpose. And And, you can't look at this any other way. And that goes to one of the other clips that's been released since the, the footage has been turned over to Tucker Carlson. There's those previous unreleased clips that show the DC police arriving at the Capitol and, and some of the officers there saying like, dude, these people were set up. We were set up. This whole thing was like meant to fail. Yeah. Like this is a disaster. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's like, where, where was that footage? Why wasn't that shown at the January 6th committee? And why wasn't Muriel Bowser or the chief of the DC police dragged up there to give their testimony on where the officer, what did they do to the officers that said that, you know, it, it didn't sound like they were set up to fail. It sounded like they were set up to win. And it was the people that, that created the failure scenario at the Capitol on January 6th. And, uh, well, seems- they'll they'll completely run those people up the flagpole as kooks, or they'll find some way to dis devalue their their testimony and like, oh no, this person was unhinged. You know, he was actually a MAGA Republican in disguise or some shit. Yeah, that's the thing too. Last night, Tucker Carlson had previously unreleased footage of the Capitol police officer who passed away days after the uh, you know going ons up there on Capitol Hill, which shows him in the crowd towards the end of the event and completely fine and healthy. Uh, not snack- Yeah, during the time that he supposedly died in action. Right, by getting beat up with a yeah. fire extinguisher and stuff like that. So, you know, it, and, yeah. and, and it's just one of those things, like everybody's taken their takes from this, and uh, we're just going to continue to give it to you guys, you know, with commentary on what's coming out, as, as we all know what the larger narrative is here. But uh, we're, we're not going to waste any time. Any more on this today while we're getting ready to jump in with John Davis right now. All right, joining us next on the show, he served in law enforcement for 10 years. He's also an author whose newest book, Man on the Roof, is burning up the charts. You can find it on Amazon at Barnes & Noble, etc. Mr. John Davis, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? 
Oh, it's great. It's great. Uh, the book just released a few weeks ago, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to, to get my story out there. Excited and also a little bit surreal knowing that my, my life's out there for everybody to uh, read through, but uh, I'm excited that it will, will help some people. Yeah, going through the book, it's kind of a eye-opening look into law enforcement slash spiritual journey, kind of what a lot of people don't necessarily get when they talk about people who just give like a first-person perspective of what their lives in law enforcement were really about. Do you want to give our listenership a little bit of an introduction to the book? And then what was the premise to start writing this? Well, the premise, it, it, writing the book is something I had thought about for a while. I, I've been working at Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs for about almost seven years now. And and part of what we do there is we tell our stories. And, and I thought about telling the story um, and writing it down um, for several years. And then this past year, I moved out here to Texas and, and our founder, Chad Robichaux, we were having dinner and he said, John, you should write a book. And that really sparked me like, okay, well, if my founder, a man I respect so much, has encouraged me to write this book, I'm going to do it. And I just wanted to get it out there. And hopefully, uh, you know, and the reason I wrote that is that the other people out there um, who, who have a lot of struggles, you know, not just law enforcement and the military, but just in life that that no matter what those struggles are and where you end up in life and, and how far you've fallen, that you can get up, get up and, and you could have hope. And that that's basically my goal of writing this book. Now, let's just stick in that thread for a minute, because I think that's really important for our listenership, either those who are listening right now and are maybe going through some struggles just, you know, in their lives or people who we have a lot of people in the military and law enforcement who listen to this show. What don't the general public comprehend as well as someone who's actually done it like yourself uh, about the absolute aloneness you can feel sometimes when working in a job like law enforcement, when working in a job like the military and uh, having to do some of the things that, you know, not many other people are tasked with doing and then taking it home and expect to live the normal life of like being a father, being a husband, living in the community, going to church and stuff like that. And how big of a burden can that become uh, on a man or a woman who's kind of going through that? Well, you said a key word there, being alone. And that was something I think a lot of men or women deal with in law enforcement. And that was something I dealt with because you're doing something every night and you're seeing just the carnage and the horrific things that you see in law enforcement. And then you got to go back home and you're supposed to be a loving husband. And at some point you kind of, you lose who you really are, you know, and I, and I tell a story in my book. One of the things when it really hit me is I, I coached my boys in youth football and I'd worked the graveyard shift the Friday night. And then the next morning I was coaching a game and we were winning this game and everybody was happy and excited. And as I sat there, I didn't feel a lot. And I felt so isolated, um, like these people don't know who I am. And do they realize what I did last night? And I'm sitting here on, on these sidelines looking at these kids and we're all cheering. And I felt numb. I felt uh, disassociated with life in a sense, you know, and it's a very, very difficult balance and to go to one thing where you're, where you're, you know, you're fighting for your life at times, your life's on the line a lot. You're dealing with the things you deal with at work. And then you go home and you're trying to be this person, this, this husband or a wife that you want to be and the father that you want to be. And you just kind of get lost in that. And then the, the culture, you know, especially with men is that these things that you see, the, the horrific things you see, they shouldn't bother us, which is not true at all. It bothers everybody in the job. When you see death, when you see kids being killed, when you see women raped and beaten, you know, on almost on a routine basis, and you can't 
be totally emotional. So you got to shove those emotions down, but, but they don't go away. And eventually, and, and what happens to a lot of people, and what happened to me is, is you wake up one day and you don't even know who you are. You look in the mirror and you're like, how to become this person, this cold person, but you still feel things. So it, it's really confusing to deal with on the emotional level. Um, it's confusing as far as how to act when you're at home, opposed to how you act at work. So you get really lost in that and you end up feeling alone and you're around a lot of people. I was around a lot of people. I was, again, I was coaching youth football. I was in church. I had lots of friends, but I really felt alone. Like like nobody understood really what was going on inside me. And I felt like I couldn't share that with other people because that would be weakness. And we, we as men, especially police officers, we're not weak. We can't admit that. So you get you get lost in that. And, it, and it's really tough to deal with. And when you don't have somebody, you don't have a, a brother or someone you can be really transparent with, man, you just keep shoving those things down. What like happens to so many people is at some point that stuff's going to, it's going to spill over into other areas. And then you start dealing with it in unhealthy ways. And then you outlined in the book, you know, I, I, I see an excerpt here that talks about how the pride, you know, you, you're the leader of the family, whether you're a man or woman, but you, you're in this career that is, it's like you described it. Sometimes you're just uh, surrounded by absolute carnage. There's nothing you could do about it. You kind of have to work through it. And then, you know, several hours later, you're, uh, figuratively punching the clock and heading home and then you got your kids want to jump on you and hug you and your wife wants to kiss you and you got to go back to the normal routine you got to say hi to your neighbor when you're getting out of the car how difficult is it to deal with something like pride when you feel internally spiritually emotionally uh you losing control you being overwhelmed by stuff but then still having to you know kind of walk the path of what you were traditionally raised on to be like the leader of your family well, it's extremely difficult um, as far as walking in, in the man that I wanted to be, this moral compass that I had set for my life. And then you get to a place where you're walking in it, but it's not real. You, there's these behaviors and actions that you're taking, but in your heart, you know, it's something something much different going on. There's there's bitterness building up, which leads to anger, which leads to, you know, making some very bad decisions in life. So, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's extremely difficult to you know, shut it off in a sense. And we talk about it a lot at Mighty Oaks, um, some of the differences of veterans and police officers, because the veterans, as you know, some of them will go to some combat tours and just see some crazy things. And the, the stories I've heard from some of those battles that those guys post 9-11 combat, combat had to deal with is, is incredible. But these guys go over, they, they do a tour and they see some crazy things. They come back and it's pretty clear that they're a different person. And they know it. And then the people around them know it. But as a police officer, like we refer to it and I refer to it in the book, and we talk about this a lot at our programs, that slow drip, because it usually doesn't happen overnight. There's some calls and some incidents where police officers see some things that, wow, like that really, really rocks them. But usually for most of the most of the police officers, it, it's a slow thing. You, you see a bad call and then you go meet up with your buddies and have some coffee. You get you, you handle some other calls. You see a, another horrific call. And this just this slow buildup of these things happen um, where where you don't realize it at the time. But again, going back to what I said previously is like, then you wake up and you're like, how did I get this place of this person that's so bitter, so angry, uh, who's so cold to my wife, cold, cold to my kids, because you don't know how to deal with it as it's coming on you on a daily basis almost. And you don't feel and know the changes that are happening like they are. And then, and then uh, again, you wake up and, and it's, it, you're somebody totally different. So it's, it's a difficult thing. And if you don't have some pre-decisions, if you don't have a plan of action going into this career, 
um, you're going to, you're going to fall. Most likely you're, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to affect you greatly. And you're going to be a different person. People ask me all the time about being a police officer. Sure. And one of the things I tell them before they get into it, no matter what, you're going to be a different person. You're either going to be a much better person or you're probably going to be a worse person. If you don't go into it with some clear boundaries in your life, some some people to help you through it, some people that you can talk to and be transparent with and, and really understanding that it's okay for things to bother you. It's okay to look at a death of a child and that should bother you. You know, and these are the messages that need police officers need to understand when you when you see the horrific things. Yes, the normal thing is for it to bother you. The normal thing isn't for you just to be like, okay, well, it's just another call. Now I gotta, you know, go 10-8, go back in the service and go to an, uh, another call. Yeah, it's a it, it's a pretty difficult world that these men and women, both in law enforcement and the military, kind of have to navigate through. It's it's a different world than it was, let's just say, 10, 15 years ago, which is the next thing I wanted to ask you briefly. What, how have you seen uh, law enforcement change over the last decade or so? And, and, and where do you think at this current pace where it's just not the job it used to be? There's there's so much negative pushback from the federal government, local, state. You've got the press. Uh, you've got agitator groups like what happened down in Atlanta, Georgia this week. That makes it difficult to be a, a man and woman to get up every morning and, and put on the uniform and put on the gun belt and, and walk out the door and, and know that they're tasked with keeping their community safe. Well, I retired in 2004 and, and I'll tell you back, back when I was a police officer, I was from 1993 to 2004 was when I was a police officer. And during those times, I mean, you, you were proud to say you were a police officer. Your family was proud of you for being a police officer. The stuff in the media was nothing like it is today. And there's still a difficult field to be in. So what's happened this last 10 years and this narrative that's been put out of who police officers are. Man, I honestly, I, I can't imagine. Um, it's hard for me even to watch it sometimes and, and hear the things being said about the men and women, um, knowing the truth of really what's going on and the truth of who these people are and, and, and the heroic actions and just the hearts they have for the people and the citizens that they have every day as they go to work. Um, so, I, man, again, I can't imagine working in this field um, with what's being said and the negative press and feelings and these things being blasted all over social media and news medias about who police officers are, you know, and I had a man, I had an interesting story too, because I had some really good friends and my wife was talking to, to our friend, um, my buddy's wife. And she looked at my wife and said, why do police officers kill black people? And I was just so blown away that, you know, here's the person that we're close with. She knows who I am. She knows what type of person I am could actually say a comment as ignorant as that was. Um, it just shows you like how lost people are and just, you know, they look at the news media and that's truth, which is crazy for them to <laughs> even think that. But I will tell you um, what I've seen with the police officers that I've gone through. And, you know, there's a lot of our students that go through Mighty Oaks that are current police officers. And I'm dealing with a lot of peer supports around the country in the first responder community, police and fire. And, and particularly police are what we're talking about is through the negative press. And man, the suicide rates are going up. Just yep. the hopelessness of these guys, it's through the roof. Um, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing the effect and I'm hearing it from these guys and I'm seeing it in their, in their voices and in their stories. Um, some of these guys are, are involved in things at work and they're getting charged with crimes for doing their jobs. And there are things that you just cannot believe are happening. Um, guys are getting fired for things that, that again, they're, they're risking their lives, putting their life on the line for the, the citizens and their departments aren't backing them up because 
you know, I don't know why I would assume they're they're afraid uh, of the backlash or the political nature of what's going on and and standing up for their guys. But I see it in the guys right now. I mean, the, the amount of suicides that are happening in law enforcement, it, it, it's crazy. Um, the numbers, you know, I mean, there's one weekend in Chicago. I think there was three suicides in one weekend in one department. San Antonio police had five suicides in less than six months. And their, their department's only 2,400 men in that the border patrol have had 15 this past year which is double they've ever had in the past and without a doubt we would have to think by looking at what's going on this is having a huge effect on on these police officers that doing their job um and what what they're doing every day and, and putting their life out there and, and answering those 911 calls and those same people are sitting there just basically they're criminals you know this thing this whole thing's flipped so Man, it blows my mind. I even have to like sometimes when I'm watching too much news about it, I got to back off. And I'll tell you, like, quite honestly, the, the, some of these shootings I see and I'm sitting here watching these videos. I'm like, what are these guys waiting for? They need they they should have shot that guy a long time ago. Right. Um, and I do personally and I know of a fact of a police officer who told someone who I'm good friends with um, that he would never shoot his gun because he doesn't want to go to jail. Within several weeks after that, he was in an incident where he should have shot somebody multiple times and he ends up getting shot and killed with that kind of mindset. And I'm sure he's not the only one who feels that way. Yeah, that's the, that's one of the biggest things a lot of people miss these days. Well, you just mentioned it right there. And that's something that only, you know, a veteran like yourself, a former law enforcement officer like yourself can really provide the insight to these men and women that are out there tasked with keeping our community safe sometimes have to make a split decision split second decision uh on whether or not they're going home and because of all the negative press because of the cancel culture because of the way the federal government uh especially during the obama administrations and now again with the with the biden administration have demonized law enforcement criticizing at the national level having the justice department get involved which is what would seem like routine procedure things every day and now they have to go in that split second of time between life and death and think about like, is it worth it? Can I figure out a different way? What if I don't go home? What if they fire me? What if they put me in jail? And you, like you said, sometimes it could lead to a police officer making the wrong decision and in turn, maybe losing his or her life. John, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. We're going to live link your website today. We're going to put a live link for the, uh, to directly buy the book as well. Is there any ways else we could find you on social media? Um, Currently, right now, um, you know, you can go to check out Mighty Oaks. It's, it's MightyOaksWarriorPrograms.org. Uh, um, I'm on there, too. Uh, I'm one of our speakers from it, so if they want to get a hold of me that way. And, um, yeah, that, that, that would probably be the best way to do it. And we've got the links to my book on, on here, so that, that would be great. Um, no, I appreciate that, bud. And we'll be looking to have you back on the show at some point in the future. This is former law enforcement officer, veteran, now author, his new book, Man on the Roof. You really got to check it out. John Davis, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Oh, thank you very much. All right, coming out of the weekend hot following CPAC and uh, breaking developments regarding the January 6th committee and that now crumbling narrative. If you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to hear the now over 200 other editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podaddict, Google Podcasts. We're even in the Samsung Store. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. Former police officer, veteran, 
author John Davis, former Deputy Assistant to President Trump Theo Wold, and former Acting ICE Director Tom Holman. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedules and help making steaks great again. Friends, don't forget to go out and support all of our partners here on Steak for Breakfast. When you do that, you help make small American businesses great again as well, namely my pillow. You want the version 2.0, I'm going to put it frankly. I got it. It's fluffier. It's pillowier. It's definitely cooler. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get buy one, get one free. You want some my coffee and a promo code STEAK there? 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak. If you want the pillows, if you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones. They can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studio, you're getting serious, podcasting, doing a little bit of music, you want to make the investment, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright, odyssey.com is the website there. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Got some man rubs, chicken and pork in the crock pot right now. It's going to be delicious tonight. And a promo code here, manrubs.com. You're getting 15% off your total order. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan and co-host today. CEO of My Patriot Cigars. Enter promo code STEAK here, getting 15% off your cigar order. Any order over 100 bucks, free shipping. $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And our newest partner, Farmer Bill's Premium Beef Jerky. Enter promo code STEAK here, getting $5 off your order. You order a 12-pack, you're getting free shipping. You can check out all the great things they've got going on down at FarmerBill'sProvision.com. Upcoming shows, we'll be back on Friday. Let's see who's coming in here. Jake Denton of the Heritage Foundation and supply chain expert, consultant, Steak for Breakfast contributor. Jim Nels will be joining us as well. Christina Bob, Liz Harrington, and Josh Hammer will be here on the 14th. We've got Devin Nunes coming in on the 17th. Cash Patel and former ambassador Jesse Roth Gunter will be here on the 21st. Jim Nels is back on the 24th, and we'll be sitting down with Congressman Mike Collins. Congressman Max Miller will be here on the 28th, still finalizing with Congressman Kevin Kiley and Congressman Corey Mills. We'll have both of them in here this month as well. Plus, we've got a couple surprises lined up, just finalizing a few of the dates and times. We'll be bringing you those up here shortly in the near future. Friends of the Week got a big list this week. Our true social Twitch streamer crew, Siberian Kitten, Beastie Man 420, CSM Master. They love our new uh, deep fake videos of Donald Trump, Barack Obama, and Joe Biden playing Minecraft. Speaking of deep fakes, the Ron DeSantis CPAC one, Rumble Rant CP3 meme, can't say enough about it. Also, Alexis Wilkins, platinum country music star, was sharing Steak for Breakfast this week, as was Kamala Jones and Kara Lee. Over on Twitter, let's see, we've got VK, Honeyfire, Stacey Ray, Spoopy, Tara Bull, Angie, Agogo, Matt Jaramillo, Fran DeMario, and Sherry. Can't forget Ghost Hammer. Oh course and then some of the rest of the meme team the duke of memes meme mar coming in hot this week blowing up everybody and just put out a pretty fire mitch mcconnell january 6 one the real meme delorean edward russell let's go brenda grand old memes madam america namrock namrock and mostly peaceful memes you guys should be following them any place you find your memes on social media guys thanks to remember between now and friday number one do your own research you want to find out why uh, Donald Trump is able to work with some of the biggest rhinos and now he just can't work with others? It's all about the money and where it's going. Number two, start a podcast. I'm sure Noah's going to like this one. Very, very small amount of flags. 
and it was great to have Noah join us for the back end of the show, remote from forklift training as well. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. You talk about Donald Trump's CPAC speech, that's what talking about American greatness is all about. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 219 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back episode 220 on Friday. We've got Jake Denton and Jim Nels joining us. We'll see who else decides to jump on. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan, literally the only one in studio today. Thanks for listening, and take care. very busy indeed if he is recruiting help from the student body busy hunting that new one buffalo bill what a naughty boy he is do you know why he's called buffalo bill please tell me the newspapers won't say well it started as a bad joke in kansas city homicide and they said this one likes to skin his humps why do you think he removes their skins Agent Starling, throw me with your acumen. It excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours.